0: All right, I think we are pretty much live here, just setting up the meeting on YouTube. Give me a second or so, just so I... Yes, okay. I think we're here. That's it. Welcome, everyone, to Hash Church, episode 15 of Hash Church 3.0. I'm just going to copy the link. I... I'm not sure who's gonna show up today. I really sent this out last minute and I thought, you know what, even if nobody sends ships out, I'm good to go and I'll do a little hash church. I had Johnny B say he might come in and I had Colin mention that he might come in. So, and of course, Etienne Fontaine is always gonna come in cause he's our, he's our guy that's always here. There he is right there. Welcome Etienne, good morning, sir. Good morning, sir. How are you today? Let me fix my audio so I can hear you. I suspect it's my problem, not yours. What happens? There it is. Can you hear me? Oh, yeah. I had, uh, when I come on often Zoom, it will take my Raspberry microphone, this little guy, and it'll also make it my speaker. And I don't even glitch anymore when that happens. I'm like, you know what? I'm. I know what's going on here.
1: Same thing happens to me sometimes when, yeah, you switch over, it just decides that uh, everything's going to be, your mic is now your audio. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. And uh, I will be
0: honest, I have been, um, not to start so, 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 so early, I wonder who, dig on Mo QHSR's, who that's going to be. Good morning, Johnny B. Good morning. Okay. i back. And who else do we got in the room there? You got to unmute yourself and turn on your camera because we can't see ya. We can't see ya. Oh, Mr. West. Is that Hank? Is that Hank West?
1: (laughs) No, we don't got you yet. No audio. We can see ya. Someone
0: told me in chat today, they were like, invite Mike West. He said he would come in. I'm like, really? I always feel bad inviting Mike West because I know he, he likes to share. At the same time, I know he likes to relax and enjoy himself and spend some time with his, uh, with his, w- with his wonderful wife. Hello, Dr. Allison.
2: Good morning.
0: Be honest. We pull you away from Clubhouse.
2: You totally did. You totally did. <laughs> <laughs> Knew it. I um, uh, we have new boundaries now on Clubhouse. Um, you know, during our family time, um, you know, like dinner time and post dinner time, it's very limited um, because it, it was just. It's. I'm becoming obsessed with it.
0: I feel yeah. Well, for those of you that don't know that we know that we are starting. Um. <laughs> Let me just see here. I don't think they understand. They got to go into the next link for YouTube. Um, I just want to make sure we're all good here and that we're actually live because I don't see people coming in to the other chat. Now, let me see what I did here. I probably made a mistake.
2: Oh, look, there's Mike West. There he is. I've, I haven't seen your face. Good to see your face.
0: Hello, Dr. Jason, how are you? I don't know why the chat's not working uh, on YouTube, but we'll figure it out. I will also say, yeah, it says chat's not working on the new stream. Well, that's going to be a problem. That's really kind of a problem. I wonder why the chat's not working on the new stream. Ouch.
1: It's starting to appear now.
0: It is, isn't it? You're right.
1: There it is. Yep. I was a little Did bit of a breath. It's okay. Deep cleansing, cannabis-laden breath.
0: Crossing the house. Woo. That was scary. All right. So what I want to start with today, um, because it really is kind of a big deal, especially for just this whole, not just the cannabis conversation and the psychedelic dialogue and all these different dialogues that we all know are super important to have right now. But recently, I got turned on to this app that we were just talking about called Clubhouse. Um, It was actually Stephen who turned me on. um, And then Dr. Allison gave me a bunch of uh, tips and tricks for it, but it truly is a phenomenal. Well, it's, it's a double-edged sword. It's both a phenomenal app and it will literally steal all your time for you if you let it. And the way I look at this app is it seems like it's like hash church times like 10,000, like there's just 10,000 hash church rooms going. Now the only difference from a hash church to a clubhouse in my opinion is that it's not recorded you can't go back and save it you can't go back and listen to it which is definitely
2: somewhat of a problem but also also marcus actually you can record it um you you are able to record them you can um you just have to put it in the topic section that you're recording it and then you can record it on your own
0: and then share it i guess through other like your podcast or whatever
2: yes a lot of people are doing that
0: okay well that's amazing because to not be able to save it i thought was a little bit of a downer um but at the same time it seemed to create unique conversation that uh i just can't really say enough about it it's super trippy it's an invite only app it's not available to android it is available to iphone users they're going to make it available to android users eventually but I would get on it, figure it out. I'm going to have a presence over there at 10 and, and, and Allison and Mike and a ton of people are over there already. Um, it's really dynamic. Like it's definitely pretty trippy, the different rooms that you can go into based They've on- They've
2: even started, there's a, there's a German cannabis room I was in earlier today. I couldn't understand an entire word they said, but they were just talking about cannabis in German.
0: That is so awesome. No, I'm really stoked on the app. It's definitely unique. I think the fact that it takes the video out of the, um, you know, the the sort of people are, are really situation. eager to share when that video isn't there, when it's less, you know, exposed, it's a little bit more private. They're just a voice and uh, yeah, it's how can we get an invite now? that is a thing i'm not too sure i would ask around if you go on and you go and reserve your name it should show you who in your contacts are on clubhouse and you could potentially hit them up in a private message and say hey do you have a clubhouse invite for me uh that would be you know potentially one way of uh of getting it done I just had Stephen send me a, an invitation and then I used my two. The, the thing about those invitations is if you send them out to the wrong people, if you send them out to people on Androids or you accidentally send it to an iPad instead of the, the actual phone, the invites are gone. And it is a little bit rough in that sense that uh, they, they're, it, it's, it's very easy to blow your, your invitations and you only get a couple. But uh, if I Actually, had any. more.
2: I'm gonna, I'm gonna interrupt you real quick. The more that you talk and the more that you moderate, the yes. more invites you get.
0: I did get three more after my initial two, but I've given them all away. Three of them were like Matt Stang ones, where they were just pooched. I accidentally gave them to people who I don't even know if their phone number is the same phone number anymore. So,
3: I have a I have an invite for you. If you want to give it out. Oh, nice. Welcome, Colin. How are you doing this morning? I'm beautiful. How are you guys doing? How's everyone doing? How's uh, the chat room doing? Mark? It's be
0: doing better with doing
3: Mr. Wade it. Laughter. It's about
0: to be doing better. There he hey, is.
3: Everybody.
0: Don't you guys all feel better now that Wade's here?
3: Every time.
0: I do too. He's like a calming energy.
3: I can hear he that la- laughter.
4: He brings laughter, yeah.
0: He brings laughter. And also, Dr. Mark, we're also happy that you're here too because you bring information and it goes so well with laughter.
4: Yeah. Mark, I'm still not getting the group uh, message that you're sending out to people. That's really strange. I know. I
0: think somehow you got bumped out of that group. I'm going to try and add you, but you know what? Forever now, I'm just going to send you your own invitation. Like
4: Sam, right?
0: Yeah, exactly. You get your own private invitation. You've earned it. Thank you. And nice to see the group. I wasn't sure who was going to pop in today. It was so last minute, but you guys are always good with your time. Uh, once again, I'm not going to go too, too much on Clubhouse, but if you guys aren't on it, if you can figure out a way to get on it, if there's people on this panel that have an iPhone and want to get an invitation, I mean, Mark, you would absolutely crush Clubhouse. Um, there's been times where I've wanted to ping you into the room where people have been going off on sort of science. What,
4: what exactly that, is it? I'm, I'm, I just joined, so I missed something. What is well, Clubhouse? Well Clubhouse is just an app and it, it to me it feels like
0: an app that's really turning the corner. It's not an Instagram, it's not a Twitter, it's not a Facebook. It's not it's not about getting likes, it's not about posting pictures, it's just audio um you can go into all these different rooms i was in a room the other day with uh G- well it's just been an incredible like experience tons of amazing people i even ended up with a, in a room with uh, todd mccormick the other day on a on a panel where we were both speaking it was kind of funny i kept my mouth quiet cuz i knew the last time i went into a room that he was in he left right away and i felt bad but yeah. um, it's kind of cool. Like there's conversations going on and dialogues taking place that you absolutely can't imagine. The psychedelic mushroom one blew me away. I was amazed at how diverse the group of people in the rooms were. Tons of people from America that are just like, what's going on with these psychedelic mushrooms? Tons of great knowledge and, and shares going on in that, uh, in that sort of area. And just really unique conversations. Like think Hash Church. And, you know, you can start more diverse, more diverse, more diverse. You think hash church in the sense of like joining together with 10 or 15 people and having a conversation, but it's just like an endless group of people. Imagine if in the chat room right now in YouTube, if I could just click on a name and bring them right up into here, because that's how it is. You've got like 10 or 20 people on the panel. You got another 50 to a hundred that are coming into the room and, and leaving and coming. And if one of those people come in that you wanna hear, you just right click their name. If you're the moderator, you invite to speak. And now that person is up on the panel and it's it's pretty darn good. People are pretty good in regards to keeping their mics um, muted when they're not talking. And it's just super, super diverse in the sense of, I mean, my goodness, were you in that room the other day with the Nigerian uh, princess, yeah. uh, Dr. Allison? Yeah,
2: yeah, <laughs> yeah. The other thing is um, you can, um, there's, there's different ways that you can connect with people. I mean, like you can't message in the actual app itself, which is kind of cool because there's no back messaging during the conversation, but you can uh, connect your Instagram and they can DM you and you can follow it, uh, people and engage with them that way. It's very much like an immediate audio connection. Um, one of the most fascinating things, oh, I was just told I was too long. Um, one of the most fascinating things is that so, so
4: it's not only subject matter experts. I mean they're just regular, the, uh, regular so re- regular folks can join the discussion without knowing yeah. much of anything. And well not you're feel up
2: people.
4: Your not moderator theater.
2: at
1: top. So it's kind of the three three levels. You've got the speakers at the top, right. which are the moderators slash speakers. Then you've got a second section that are those that are followed by the speakers. Which are not on the stage. And then you have the general audience at the bottom. The moderators up top can bring anybody up from any level, and there's a raise hand function so if somebody has a question you allow them to raise hand then you can bring them up ask them the question then dismiss them off the dais or keep them up there to have further conversation so it's a fun i'm learning a lot i'm teaching it's it's a great way to absorb information and because you're not on video you can just listen to it on the side so it's who
4: owns the platform is it a public company most likely
0: Yeah, I've heard a bunch about these guys, not super good things. I definitely heard a couple of bad things when I first did some research. But yeah, I saw the other day they had like a billion dollar valuation on this app. And it's, uh, I think it's been around for a while, like since April, but it seems to have only just caught my attention here in the last week or so. But it's, I kind of can't say enough about it. It's very addicting. And uh, it's very unique to just be able to it's nice for me to go into rooms and just listen, not be invited up, not have anyone know me at all and just listen and just be like, wow, okay, this is actually really, really cool. So I've been, How do they uh, make their
4: money? Like what's their business model?
5: Question,
0: you know, d- data, I would suspect like all of these companies, how they all right. make their money. It's all through data and and whatnot. So
4: there, there's gotta be some, Uh, you know, you got to follow the money with these things, man, right? I mean, don't they own the content? Like when when you, so kind of like... No more than
0: YouTube, no more than Instagram, no more than like, it's pretty standard. I mean, the lawyers, the the sharks that wrote that stuff up years ago, it's now just getting regurgitated into new versions. And I I would be certain that uh, just like Instagram, everything you post on
4: there belongs to them kind of thing. But well not not wanting to bring politics into the discussion but I'm wondering if if like you know like the way that they ended parlor or the way that they took away the 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 what the hosting service of of parlor could this be a way again for hate groups to sort of assemble or do they police that in any way or Um, that's that's a great question yes
2: no they do they (laughs) do um you can block people and report people i have found that people are very kind to each other and when someone like a troll comes in they are blocked and kicked out immediately and so uh there is a reporting feature uh i don't know like i don't know the ins and outs of parlor because that's just not my game but um you know there there is a reporting feature and it's been Everyone has been very kind and we kind of police each other.
0: I I found that also the people have been absolutely like really kind, like really like respectful. I've only really had one experience in a room where the wrong person got made into a moderator and you kind of got to be careful about that because that person can kick you out of your own room they could kick every moderator out of the room and, and basically take over your room. So that I experienced once already, not a guy taking over a room, but one of 20 moderators just, you know, cutting that. In fact, it was an incredible conversation because it was about, It started about men cutting women off. And she said, you know, she was talking, she got interrupted. She said, you know, I get this happens to me all the time. Men cut me off and it's a real problem. And I'm gonna mention it right now and we're gonna have a discussion. And then it kind of took a turn because another woman came in and said, you know, like, I would like to share a different perspective. And she was like, you know, some people have OCD. Some people have dyslexia. Some people have all these little tweaks with their personalities. They're using this app because they want to come in and, and, and interact, but they have these tweaks and ticks of their personalities and she was kind of saying she was one of those people. She tends to cut people off. And so she came in with this really different, unique perspective. And then the other girl was like, no, I'm not buying it. I'm I, he, I'm owning this. He was cutting me off. The guy had already apologized, but it was still. And it reminded me of Hash Church. Like many times there's been many men cut many men off, as well as many women off. But I think it's just because we get excited. Wade can shake his head because he's literally the only one that has never done it um but we've done it we've all done it and uh, we talk louder and we try to get our point across and so this discussion started and the girl was like i'm not having it like i he cut me off and then one of the moderators from the room bounced her out of the room and so it became a whole thing and i actually listened for about 40 minutes And it was awkward and it was difficult, but I felt like there was value in that dialogue, having that dialogue and like sitting through these cringe, you know, worthy moments that uh, that were occurring. But as as a man, I felt like uh, it was a learning experience. And I, I definitely saw both perspectives of, of both, uh, of these girls, but, uh, you'll find all sorts of things like that on clubhouse. It's a,
2: Hey Marcus, yeah. go back to the Nigerian when the situation where like the Nigerian came in and like had no idea and was just asking questions. Remember well,
0: that? I, I went into, I just went into her room. So I don't remember that exactly, but I, I just, she had a room and I was like, Oh, I'm just, I went, you know, anytime I, I think I went into a room that, um, What's her name now? Uh, Justine Bateman, uh, Jason Bateman's sister. She was in a room talking about movies. I was like, oh, I used to watch that girl on TV when I was a kid. I'll go listen to her for a bit. And I I was in one of the games rooms the other day talking about like, um, you know, social equity and social justice and, you know, basically making space for, for Brown and black people to be a part of this uh, industry. And uh, there's just been a lot of, you know, kind of unique people that you wouldn't normally have access to. I don't do too much of that. Mostly I hit rooms that I see Dr. Allison in in psychedelic conversations or cannabis conversations. Those are the ones that I really enjoy. I mean Mike West came in the other day when we were talking about CO2 and released like an hour and a half long so awesome! It was, yeah, it was that was great. so awesome. It was so good like it was crazy. No one was talking. Everyone was just like all right, let's just- Well, say. but you
2: had that you had that kid that thought he knew everything and then you brought Mike in and Mike went, blew him away.
1: Allison, I think I was in a room the other day where some guy came in and said, you guys are talking about drugs. You're talking about drugs. I was there. You were there <laughs> yeah. too.
4: Okay, that guy. Yeah.
1: Oh yeah.
0: No, that was amazing because we were talking about the difficulty of psychedelics and when we get into a psychedelic experience where it's a bad trip, and people were like, well, it's not really bad. It's about working those particular muscles and it feels rough because it's hard when you're working things out, but you end up getting out the other side. And so this African guy came in and he was like, you are speaking about drugs. You, you are smoking drugs. And he was really loud and, and people were kind of jumped all over him and got real negative. And I, I don't know if you remember this at Tan, but I sort of said to everyone, I said, hey, listen, you know, like here we are talking about how to deal with bad trips. And then one potentially comes into our actual reality in this moment. And this is how we deal with it. Because people were really jumping on that guy to kind of bounce. Let's get him out. He's a troll. And it's like, well, maybe he's a troll. But maybe he's just a guy from Africa who has a cultural difference, who wants to interact with us. And maybe we could be a little bit more patient. So, yeah, I found that funny as well.
5: Let him start his own uh, room, the anti-drug room.
0: Yeah, exactly. How are you doing, Sam? Welcome.
5: I'm, I'm alive a few minutes late, but I'm here.
0: There was a really big conversation yesterday in one of the rooms. Donnie Werschafter was there. Dale Hunt was there. They were talking about patents and IP in the cannabis industry. And it was an entire conversation about GW Pharmaceuticals and Canopy Growth uh, suing GW Pharmaceuticals because of the CO2 patent that they acquired that runs out in about a year. And that was also a very interesting conversation. I hadn't heard from, from Donnie Wershafter in a very long time. So it was neat to kind of hear him up on the, on the stage talking about these things. He obviously has a fairly um, in-depth perspective of such things. But I was thinking about you, Sam.
5: Well, Donnie is uh, a lawyer, but he also has narcolepsy. So while you're talking to him, he'll fall asleep.
0: Yes, that's true. I've had that happen many times with Donnie, as I've known him for, geez, about 30 years now. He's one of the people that goes back very, very far. He thought we went back to 96 yesterday, but it's actually more like 94, 95 when I actually first met uh, Mr. Wershafter. So hey, Mr. Donnie yes. had
5: a lot of influence because uh, his uh, uncle... Was uh, the famous uh, uh, progressive uh, insurance company? Uh, uh, crap! I can't remember his name right now. But uh, he he put in millions for marijuana legalization.
2: Peter Lewis.
5: Yeah, good old Peter. Yes, uh, he. When I visited with him, it was in Amsterdam on his boat which at the time was the 10th largest private boat in the world.
1: Donnie was also one of the original hamsters. He had the Ohio hempery and was uh, importing uh, hemp seed oil and all that stuff. Uh, yeah, because when I was working for Ecolution, we used to work on imports, exports, and um, trading wholesale stuff like that back in the mid-90s. That's
6: solid, not really
0: bad. That's how we met him, basically through hemp. He came out to Manitoba, and we threw this big hemp kind of conference pageant almost, like a hemp pageant. And we brought the the, the harvester from Holland, and we had the big scissor cut, and we had the acreage going on. This was like in the mid-90s. And we were trying to get live seed at the time. And, you know, you could buy hemp seed from China that was sterilized and dead and put it into hemp seed food and promote it as a health thing. But really, there was nothing left alive in it whatsoever. The embryos had just been steamed to death before they could ship out of China. And that was about $800 a ton. But if you wanted to bring living seed to actually plant, and it was like, certified seed and registered in Canada, that was the Zola that we were getting out of the Ukraine, the 11th, the 13th, and the 15th. Now, obviously Sam could probably go on for hours about the different varieties of hemp because there was the finola that he had things to do with. And there were many other varieties from different countries in Europe. But we here we are at the nineties, we're having this event. We've got a whole room full of farmers and we've brought our Zola in. And it's not cheap. It's like three thousand bucks a ton or something that these Ukrainian guys wanted for this seed. And you know it was viable. We figured no problem. We'll make it work. And so we bought all this seed. I think we bought about uh, I want to say ten tons. Um, and we brought that over. And we were trying to sell it to farmers. And Donnie, we invited Donnie to our event. And we're up on the podium. And my partner's like, "Listen, if any of you guys want to get some hemp seed, we have some hemp seed. We're selling for like." I think we were trying to get like 3500 bucks for it or maybe 4000 you know, try to make 1000 bucks off each ton that we sold and Donnie Worshafter pushes his way up to the podium and kind of is like, listen, I don't know what these crazy kids are talking about, but I can get you hemp seed out of China for $800 a ton. Don't worry about these crazy prices these kids are talking about. And we're just like,
2: what are you doing,
0: Donnie? I'll never forget that moment. It was so funny. And we actually laughed about it with him later. He was just like, Oh geez, guys. Yeah. I don't know. Sorry. Smoking a joint with him afterwards. But um, we were the young guys and Donnie was one of the the elders that we looked up to, you know, that was just like, Donnie's going to do us right. And then we just, you know, got done dirty there for, for about five minutes. It was pretty funny. (laughs) Every farmer. I just
5: wanted to mention too that, I had more than a little bit to do with Fanola. I created Fanola.
0: Well, that's what I was gonna say, but uh, I figured I'd let you say it. You did breed Fanola, yes, I remember no, that. No
5: problem, I'm, I'm an expert at breaking in when I'm not needed.
0: We love you for it. In fact, if you don't mind, um, could you just only talk when Dr. Allison is talking and cut her off every time she speaks?
5: I could try, and I'm sure it wouldn't be hard at all.
0: I'm just busting balls. I love your passion, and I love your excitement, and I know you very well as a person, so I know you're not, you're a good person. I just know that in my heart.
5: One of the main reasons I have a tendency to do that, and I know I do it, is because I think of something that I think is important, and I want to say it, and I should just get a pencil and paper, but I don't.
2: Before you forget
0: it, I get it. I
2: get it. Do you it. know what? I'm so not offended. It's totally fine. <laughs> I'm so not offended. And actually I was thinking, so Don Warshafter is on our um, he's on the Center for Cannabis and Social Policy Board with me. And he's it's funny because we were we were talking about Jack Hare on Clubhouse as well. And um, about how Jack Hare, like if you had weed, he would just come over and be like, Wish God, and like, look in your bag and I'm like take a handful of it well don does the same thing
0: well how about this okay let's talk about the difference between that and skunk man sam skunk man sam doesn't even accept things from people generally like for the for a very long time i was blown away when i could actually produce something that he would smoke so it's almost the opposite. Not only will he not take your stash, he's probably not gonna smoke it in any way, shape or form, unless it's up to a certain level of, of quality, which I also always was uh, impressed with, that uh, you had some people that were just willing to kind of get in there and, and take whatever they could get. And then you got Sam, who's just like, I've sorted out everything I need for myself. I'm, uh, I'm, I'm not taking
1: anything.
5: Well, I can't say that uh, I gave, a lot of cannabis away. I did give quite a bit, but compared to seeds, I used to walk in the Million Man March here in Amsterdam and I would take a two kilo bag of seeds with me and I would hand out a handful to anybody who wanted it. And I would listen to them because they were mostly Dutch people. And I'd hear them, what is this? And the other one would say, oh, it's Hennepsaad. It's, Hemmed. you know, it's just him. <laughs> in the meantime, uh,
0: he's given away stunt number ones. <laughs> Dude, you told me those stories before of giving away like nice genetics to people that just had no idea and that's also, there's something really wonderful about that because you have to know that some of those random people went home and plugged that into some, some dirt and grew that up and was just like what the fuck is this? It was,
5: it was <laughs> the best hemp they've ever grown.
0: Hands down. That's awesome. That is awesome. Some of those stories too, you know, those uh, the million dollar march, the million man march, and also the um, the Queen's Day celebration, where you'd pull out those goo balls.
5: Yep, those were absolutely wonderful. Uh, clarified ghee with uh, about a gram of THC and uh, extracted from uh, scud number one, actually, or from its hash, I mean.
0: I got to think, some people had a pretty intense trip. Like, you couldn't just give those to anyone.
5: No, I would tell people that uh, you should only eat a half of one first and wait a few hours before you eat any more, except for people like Mila, who she could pop two or three in her mouth and uh, walk down the street, you know, no problem at all. So could uh, our friend Robbie. But, uh, you know, and I, if I would eat like five of them, I would start sort of getting shaky and I couldn't stand up very good.
0: 5,000
3: milligrams. (laughs) That's heavy. That's a heroic dose. (laughs) It the you know, at a time,
7: but
0: that's gotta be something that's beyond a heroic dose, dude. What the fuck? Five dried grams, and he's like, Oh, I thought you meant THC. Uh sorry, Terrence, I didn't realize you were talking about mushrooms. Uh
1: and it was fully G carboxylite. Of course it was. Immediate uptake. Go hydroxy metabolite.
0: I just the wish people could understand. What? I wish carboxy could... what? Decarboxylized, it's a Sam uh, patented word. It's decarboxylized, Decarboxylated. it's lated. I have
5: a copyright on that.
0: It's lated. it's not lized.
7: I think I wrote that down in 2008.
0: Beautiful, beautiful.
2: I see Johnny B just joined Clubhouse.
7: actually i had a link to it and i was like wow clubhouse someone's trying to get me to join i clicked onto it and i was like okay so i went over to mark checked out your clubhouse follow what you're following because that just makes sense because we like the same shit and um i'm gonna check it out i think oh you're gonna weigh more
0: than check it out john you'll be living on clubhouse and promise you're gonna be living on it the amount of time that you have you will be. Uh, you'll probably spend ten plus hours on Clubhouse a day, and I, I'm not even joking.
7: I was just told you were on a group with somebody else that I know. I was like, really? And, I, and then within two seconds, I'm like, oh, okay, that just made sense.
1: And Johnny, it's okay to not go on the stage. You, you want to be and have the energy. Sometimes I won't go on stage. So I just want to go in and listen. So don't feel compelled sometimes that you have to go on stage. It's okay to just sit back and just listen if you're not in the mood to speak. So just FYI, moderation, because a lot of us fall in quickly deep and next year, everyone's inviting you to every single room to talk and to discuss. And yeah. there's nothing wrong with that, but you want to be able to match the levels in the rooms and those levels can be mighty high. So just realize, check yourself before you wreck yourself sort of situation. you. good for advice. Yeah, I like that.
0: That's good advice because that site is absolutely bonkers. And the caliber, uh, I've, I've been in some rooms where it's just been kind of really noobs and they're all like willing to learn. And then I've been in other rooms where it's like, you know, you just have the highest caliber of people talking about the things they know everything about. And it's really nice to listen to people, um, you know, speak eloqu- eloquently and uh, uh, articulately.
2: Can oh. we just talk to, for a second about the diversity? Yeah, I, I have noticed that um, just the different cultures and how they regard cannabis and how they use cannabis is blowing me away, as well as some of the knowledge some of them actually have and are bringing into their communities. I'm just uh, I, I'm stunned with the um, the information that they do have. And I'm also so appreciative of just the different cultures.
0: I agree. I've been I've been in rooms where I've definitely been a minority in the room and just loving the conversation and really getting into sort of these difficult conversations that maybe some people don't want to have, you know, and I've just I've enjoyed it all. I, I can't say enough about it. It's uh, it's extremely diverse.
2: I actually brought it up in a very diverse room about how that there seems to be a difference between um, white culture and black culture when it comes to cannabis. And I got schooled and I appreciated it. Um, I mean, I was just, I I asked questions because I wanted to know, um, not because I was trying to have a bias and they, they were open and honest and it was so refreshing and so appreciative.
0: Totally. Yep, for sure. It wasn't in Clubhouse, but recently I was visiting a shop on Commercial Drive um, here in Vancouver, run by this really great woman who is super dynamic and she's, um, African Canadian woman, she said to me uh, when I was speaking, we, we were talking about the different markets and we were ta- we were like, oh, the gray market, the, the legal market, the black market. And she said, you know what, I don't use the term the black market, it, it sort of is a negative connotation and it sort of was the end of my using that term. She's like, I just appreciate if you called it the gray market uh and and uh and i was like you know what thanks for sharing that with me and thanks for putting me in check and uh i will make sure that i don't say those words out my mouth anymore that green market is easy enough for me and it was you know it was nice like free market what's that free market
1: market. that's even better free market we also use no traditional market to signalize the Previous market, that seems to be a better understanding for what the underground market is that we like here in California came from. So we tend to use traditional markets. So when we're saying traditional market, that's what we're meaning, that that has been traditionally the underground market.
3: Yeah, ATN. that's how we've called it on, on the East Coast, New York, um, you know, all these these states that are coming online, we've always consistently called it uh, the traditional market because that's traditionally how we would get our cannabis. So I concur with that.
4: Nomenclature matters.
1: I think how ironic
4: ironic that it like I, I used to use the term black market all the time and not even think about the origin of the word until this year when Black Lives Matter really brought it out that, hey, wait a second. The reason why it's called the black market is because they wanted to associate it with black people. It's like, that's totally wrong. I'm never going to use that again. Well, exactly.
0: There's a guy in the room right now who says, I don't think a black market is having a negative connotation. And that might be part of your white privilege. But when I spoke with this black woman, she guaranteed had a problem with it. She, did, she wasn't upset, but she asked me respectfully not to use the term around her. And I was absolutely happy to comply. It's like, why would you use oh. terms? That, that create oh. uncomfortableness or a hostile environment. with
4: Well, people. and I think you hit the nail on the head when you say white privilege, Mark, because we're all white here and we don't understand that, you know, for us. And so for someone to be in a different color skin and for them to react to those words and to school us, I mean, hey, I, I, that's a schooling that I'll take, please. Absolutely.
2: I agree with you, Mark. And if someone's telling you that, it's like, why not just respect them? You know, why, why buck them? Just say, okay. And it's just um, it's about everyone appreciating different cultures. And that's the love. It's it's funny how much
0: this conversation is upsetting people in chat right now. There are absolute people in chat who are like, you're being too sensitive. Oh geez, I'm leaving. And it's like, you know, that's oh, my
1: privilege, bro. Like I'm glad I can't have you, chat. Chat. you have to accept it with humility. You cannot, you know, again, that's coming from a place of privilege. If you cannot listen to other cultures and listen to look through their eyes and their perspective then you need to step back a second, because uh, I I have a bald person. And so, you know, just being bald, going to dead shows, I was considered a narc or a cop because I looked a particular way. So I understand what it felt like. I've been chased up trees because I was a punk. I'd have eggs thrown at me. I've had people try to beat me up and challenge me. So I understand from a slight perspective, but I'm still a white male. So I don't understand from a black, brown, Native American perspective, et cetera, from every other color. So it behooves me to humble myself, to listen as a student of of earth, as opposed to a white person of privilege, depending on my monetary status. So, um, you know, uh, people can't accept being challenged too. People can't accept humility sometimes. So. You know that's a, something that is a challenge to every being, but you we must listen. We must listen to these perspectives, and I yes. I grant yes. Clubhouse one of the most amazing things is that you are forced into diversity and in these diverse discussions because they are the moderators. They are having the discussions, and sometimes yeah. they are specific. and I recommend going into these rooms. I'm part of various other rooms of equity and color because. I want to learn. I want to listen. I want to absorb so that I can be aware of that perspective because it's important because we've ignored perspective for so long. It's become dangerous. We need to be more listening than necessarily talking.
2: Yeah. Etienne, your words are resonating very, very, very strongly with me. If I could hug you through the computer, I'd be hugging you.
4: Let's all hug each other. Come on. Let's all puff a bowl.
0: I'm uh, down with smoking a little hash this morning. It's uh, I would
3: love that, Marcus.
0: I think it's uh, a, a brain hug. Oh, a high dish. is
1: a brain hug. Let's get a brain hug for everybody. What is
3: everyone smoking on right now? That's a that's a question I'd like to.
1: Oh, I love here. that. What mm. is that, Marcus?
3: This
0: is a little strawberry banana hash,
3: Rosin. Oh, look at me! I got this. I got straw banana right here too, man. Nice. hey chat chat, what
1: are y'all smoking on that's always fun this white farm josh
0: Josh and kelly yay alien og i think they just showed a
1: big old
3: at the perfect time a
1: full vat jesus christ dragonfly
3: earth what the hell is that jar of love
8: yum
2: yum
3: yeah jack herrera nice my favorite Got so Even much. though it's low yields on the hash, I still love it. It's my, my all-time favorite. It's just... i been little aware half. of
4: some many kush terps. Actually. What, Jack is a low-yielder? Is that right?
3: Yeah, it's so so. Uh, the resin on Jack is just, for me at least, I don't know what Jacks you guys are growing because there's everyone has their ideology of what Jack rare is, but um, I find that resin to be too greasy uh, and the micron sizes are... are lend towards a smaller head sizes so i get a larger yield in a 45 than i would in let's say the 90 and 73 and 120. um however the terpenes on that varietal in that that just that particular cut that i have are just unbelievable and i'll i'll spend all day making it just for my head um but it's yeah i you know i I walk around and I feel the resin and I have, you know, over the years, I've kind of developed my own version and I'm sure everyone has their own version of what resin works for them and their particular process. So I find the things that are less, that are more greasy to be lower yielding in, in the, the bags that I'm not,
5: mm.
3: you know, honing in on as much such as the 90 and 73, but I still love it. I, you know, I just, like I said, I'll, I'll wash that all day. I'll I'll, it All day. I found Jack
1: to be a great mortgage maker, but not necessarily something that's in my stash, you know, again, from the hash to the flower. I've just never been a fan of that particular varietal. And I've, I've yeah, have yeah. It's I
0: remember weird. the year it was released in Amsterdam. I remember Sensi had a big plant of it on the top floor of the PAX party house in the back corner of the room. And, uh, not sure if it was like 95 or 90
1: yeah it was 95 because i was at the no i think it was 96 because i w- we went to the castle when they actually did it with exactly yeah the,
0: this castle castle
1: yeah that was a wow because we got to then go see the flowering uh father that was all flowered out downstairs you have an actual father that was fully flowered out that was like because i've never seen a fully flowered out male to that point and i was just like Holy shit, that's fucking badass! And we're in a cannabis castle.
4: Nuts. <laughs> so is is the pheno- is the phenomena that leads to low yield? Is is that um, what you were saying, Colin? Like a certain degree of of greasiness that has to do with not being able to get good head recovery, or what? What's what's exactly the? So there's a few things that
3: you know. This is anecdotal. We we need to get deeper on the understanding of why trichomes are collected and sieved easier than others. Um, But I think there's a, there's a trifecta happening. You have the head size, you have the terpenes that are being created and then you have the way that it's grown. Right. And all these things together create what I consider the, the, the pyramid of how you can select for resin and, and select for a yield and um, that is not a silver bullet. You're, you're going to have every varietal and every pheno and even, every even keno is going to have a different um, expression. And that expression is going to be needed to be treated differently every pro- time you're in the process. And in your process of selection has to do right now for me, um, very, it's very intuitive. I walk the room, I feel the resin. I, I look at how it snaps off my finger. I then do test washes that are smaller washes. I try to understand what the, the resin is doing when I when you do these smaller washes. Um, you know, I look for color, I look for clarity, I look for all that stuff. But it all has to do with the the, the three things I was talking about. Um, but we need to better understand why, um, you know, this is happening. You know, I'm sure Marcus has a lot of insight on that too. Um, but some some you know, I found that for instance, some heads are hydrophobic they want to they want to float in the water so you know I've, I've definitely looked at things under a microscope and I'm, I'm trying to better understand it but we're still a long ways away from really having like hey this is what you need to look for um, so there's I, I would,
5: you know I would say one other point that you're missing is when you're making dry sift how long you dried and cured and age the resin before you sift it I was on the plant. Uh, we always tried to do it for three months because that gave us more of a of a raisin rather than a grape and uh, it was a lot easier to work with.
7: Do you ever take a look at just looking at the the active water or take a look at the relative humidity in the room because I like my when I do my collecting of like say first bounce, I always wait hang dry for about three weeks and then that last day or two, I dropped the humidity from like 65 down to like 50% just to do that first little bounce. And then it raises back up on the room. So that's something that I do um, to get that kind of like that first little first
3: melt. So Johnny, it. are you you talking about doing uh, a, a dry like dry material wash? Is that what you're talking yeah. about? But just making yeah. a first bounce,
7: like hang drying your plants and then taking that sure. first little dry sift. And then from there, I... More. I used to like I got different methods of of doing like making for hash, but I'm just listening to the conversation. I really like it because I mean I look at some yields, like I'm having problems pulling bags now. So it's it's just getting really bad on my back. So I'm trying to find other ways of of actually uh, like you're saying, how the resin's collecting, because I get like less yields on some strains. But I mean, when I just took right now, I took some of my stuff and I gave it to Tim to make an extraction for me and it came back like fire, the, like the terpenes, everything is like something I've never really had before.
3: So a lot of the work I've, I'm speaking on is just fresh frozen stuff. Now I do do dry um, okay. washes often, but in terms of what I've been doing for the past couple few years is really focusing on fresh frozen washes and trying to up the yield in that realm. Because I'm looking mainly the stuff I've been looking for are a lot of the the fresh terpenes off the plants, not, not so, so much the you know, the terpenoids, if you will. So, so, so room I, room I room think room. that, you know, if we can clarify for the audience here, the thing that I was talking about was really about fresh frozen, but, but I think when you're getting into what Johnny's talking about, I think he's right. There's, you know, there's dry, there's techniques for your dry cure that you really need to pay attention to um, that go beyond fresh frozen. And it's, it's almost sometimes a different approach, if you will, to, um, to, to collecting the resin heads.
7: Like oh I just saying I just I put everything in the freezer this time, so I got like ten pounds of weed in my freezer to start
3: washing. Yeah, but yeah. Was, so oh, I, go ahead, Colin. Sorry, I was just gonna gonna say, you know, there's there's so many different ways for everyone to collect heads, and I think we're, you know, we've all been doing this for, I mean, since I was, we were young, and and you know, two decades later, I think we're, and even Sam just pointed out something really helpful is your curing and how you cure it um is really specific to your you know to what you're doing and and ultimately in the in the regulated market i don't have i actually don't have the luxury to to dry cure that long um i wish i did and i think that's a another conversation in itself um you know um, a lot of people look at dates and they want to know that that was harvested on a specific date and if it's like x amount of months old they kind of look at it in an adverse way um and i think to you know, Sam's point that that's not really a right way to look at it. You know, you have varying quality of different techniques to get to the same place. Yeah, well,
5: you do lose a bit of terpenes when you age it for three months. I'll, I'll admit that. But I prefer the smoke from aged, dried cannabis. And uh, I, I find the uh, wet, uh, froze, the fresh frozen stuff, it's too terpy for me, and, and maybe it's the wrong terpenes. The more, the more volatile ones are still there, and I'm getting rid of a little bit more of those. But, but whatever people like, I'm in favor of it, and uh, there is a million ways to do it, that's for sure.
0: It's a very different product, I will say, because the year that I went to the cup, and I had made some dry sift from Matt the Great Gardener's Sweet Skunk, And it was incredible, really beautiful stuff. It was well long cured. And then I sifted it and kept it for like six plus months before I ended up at the cup. And everyone, this was kind of one of those years where it was all just starting. The faux melt crew caught on. Like I can't make full melt, but I can certainly make faux melt. If I start using fresh frozen material and I shred the heads with a microplane, I've got melty hash. And I coined that term faux melt. And that was really the initial start of fresh frozen and capturing all of these monoterpenes that generally we've been curing out of the product for decades because they're super fucking harsh. They're not lovely terpenes to inhale into your lungs. And that year was a year that tons of people had fresh frozen bubble and live rosin and everyone was bragging about their fresh frozen and you take a hit. And it was just like razor blades in your throat. It would just stop you dead and you cough, 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 cough. Well, this sweet skunk ros- resin that I had, I remember smoking it with Tony from Sagamarta Seeds. And we were at, uh, I think we were in Hank's apartment above the uh, Bulldog in the uh, Liza plane. And so he had been smoking and he, it was kind of the end of the night. And there was a ton of people in the room. I remember rare dankness and DNA and, Remo and tons of good folks were in the room we were all puffing and Tony is just like he came up to me he's like man bubble man you got to have something for me to smoke like I can't smoke this this stuff anymore it's killing my throat and it was why we all left with you know one of the reasons we all left with the cannabis cough like with those monoterps for sure and he hit some of this sweet skunk and I'll never forget him sitting back on the chair and blowing this huge cloud out and just looking over at me and being like now that is what I'm talking about. A properly cured hash that doesn't cut your throat and shred your throat. And it was just, it stood out as an anomaly at the cup that year because literally, you know maybe the only person that, the only other person that had something like that would have been Sam where he actually had cured the flower, dried it out. Dry sifting is not a misnomer. Like making those heads look like, look like um, raisins is definitely part of the trick, you know. Getting them off of the plant when the wax membrane is still like full of moisture and it's still whole and doesn't have those ripples and wrinkles in it uh, is also, you know, you're going to end up having to uh, reduce the moisture content of your hash down the road. I'm sure Cuban must have to be doing that because he's extracting those heads when they're when they're barely dry. You can tell by photographing his resin; they're all full and have very little wrinklage in them whatsoever. If you look at the heads that I photographed from Sam. They've all been properly cured out for, I mean, I don't know how long you did it, Sam, but it seemed like the material must've sat for months. before. I
5: I cured them for three months, the plant material, after I dried it for two weeks in the dark hanging. Then I boxed it for three months and cured it. And then I sifted it. And uh, I always sifted it when the humidity was super low because if you tried, for example, if you tried using one of Mila's machines in a hot, humid place, the uh, the resin, it just gunks up, it gunks up the screen, it gunks, it's horrible, you, your yields are ridiculously low.
0: You weren't a tumbler guy though.
5: No, but I used it, just, you know, because uh, it was available and it was easy. You're right, I used big, flat, uh, uh, they were aluminum-stretched uh, silk screens with uh, poly cloth, And they were really quite big. I mean, most of the ones I used were like six by four feet or something like yeah,
0: that. Yeah, I think you even had like, I, I think it was like eight foot by five foot I measured one time. And I, I will never remember. forget how much we made, how fast we made it when you, me, and our other friend were there. And I was just like, <laughs> he's just like, go grab one of those go grab one of those barrels. And he's just got like a wall of these barrels. And I'm like, what's in the barrel? And he's like, oh, that's, we're gonna sift it. It's just like full of like, like material to sift. And we just dumped it out on this.
5: It was actually the leftover from being deseeded.
0: Right. But what an amazing experience to dump half a 55 gallon barrel drum over a screen, rake it with two of my my best hash buddies And then lift the screen up. And I think we made 4,000 grams of sift. And it was like, I want to say like four minutes. Uh,
5: I think it took more like 10 minutes, whatever.
0: (laughs) Whatever. 10 minutes to make 4,000 grams is ridiculous, dude. And the picture of after you cleaned it and you were like, here, this is all the garbage, but it still looked like sift. And I threw it in your toilet and took a picture of it in your toilet (laughs) Man, people could not wrap their heads around that shit at all. People were having a hard time with that picture for years afterwards. They were just like, what? Tossing kilos of sift well, down. that's the, the
5: difference when you have enough to do things right, then it, you know, <clears throat> I would have preferred to not even use DC but I had a lot of that available, so.
0: Right, that's true. Indeed, good the good old days. I always like a three month cure. That's just the right best.
6: now. High North, uh, Frenchie, Cannoli and Lachlan are doing these really awesome testing with curing hash and what happens with the cannabinoids and the terpenes. And it's just really cool to be watching that. So he's got really old, old hash, and then as it's aging, they're testing it, and it's just super awesome to follow.
9: The Landrace hash that they
6: tested and wasn't yeah. bad. Uh, yeah. Some
9: of the here, you
0: just inspired yeah. me, Kelly. You just inspired me. This little dab right here?
6: Yeah.
0: Is 12 years old. I just took a little chunk yeah. off my deck. I'll ha- I'll have a little dab of the 12-year master kush that tastes like uh, the most perfumed out terpenes you could ever imagine. The terpenes have changed completely, but they're still present in this hash after this long.
5: How was the mater- was the material kept frozen?
0: Nope. The material hardened on the outside and sealed the inside. It's as hard as a rock. It's like, I
3: understand. yeah, because Marcus, what was the stuff I, I that we stuff used in, in Canada? What was, what was that? Years. Sorry. You I got kept
5: it? stuff for about 15 years frozen and uh, it's, it seemed like it was only a month older. I mean, it, it really hardly changed.
0: I remember that stuff. I believe it was from your 91 harvest. Am I correct?
5: I You've got a better memory than me.
0: I just remember because our, our our friend, the fat man, also used to have a little bit. And he would always come to my hotel at the Krasnopolsky and be like, I brought you a little bit of the of the 50. And it's like uh, it's 16 years old now or it's 14. Years. He got it. Actually, he got it up to like, I think, 19 or 20 years old. He still had a little bit. But his was completely red. And it was void of all flavor and terpenes by the time it was 20 years old. It was because it was also in powder. uh, And it just, uh, it was very unique in the sense that when I hit it, it was the most creeper weed product I've ever hit in my life. And I don't know if that was because it was void of I
5: don't think he kept that stuff frozen. I I don't think so either. Yeah, exactly. If you keep it frozen and away from oxygen and light and heat, it. it... Really, really, barely changes.
6: Marcus, what? Thank you what,
8: all for doing that for science. Because I smoke it all. I would never save a hash for ten years. I mean, well,
6: would-
8: <laughs> not oh, what we
5: had when you're making a kilo or ten kilos a hash a day, you
3: can't smoke it.
5: Really, believe me. True that. True. True.
3: <laughs> Hey, Marcus, what was the stuff that you and I had uh, a couple of years ago uh, when I came to visit you in Vancouver? Um, do you remember the variety that was with Daniel? And I just remember it being super dynamic and I was so lit all day from that. Was it where is my bike? I don't remember. It was like over 10 years old that you it was this you just you're like, look, we got to try this. This is like I've had this for over a decade. Jeez, it was probably the
0: master kush. It was probably this master kush.
3: It was, it was, yeah, it was just really dynamic. It was very different from what I, at the time, had been, you know, you, you know, used to the monoterps and the sesquiterps that, you know, are so in your face. And then you have this totally different experience off this material that's been aged. And um, it's just super different in terms of, of you know, the, the feeling and the overall effect profile.
4: But it was amazing. It was. Well, just... I'm
0: excited to be going in for a dab of it right now. So how about that?
4: <laughs> you can. Yeah, I'm looking that. at. I'm looking at Frenchie's data that he posted. Look at this shit. Uh, Still boiling, week guys. So, week or so ago, wow. I think. Wow. Twelve well, years, Sam, thirteen years. Sam and I had commented yes. on this. I think I'm looking at Angel Vasquez comment here, but if you look at it, um, he's just seeing decarboxylation on storage which is nothing to be expected really and and i I guess the only other interesting aspect of this is if you look at the age stuff all of a sudden there's thcv and in all the other previous examples there weren't any thcv Mm. so what that tells me is that the age sample has lost considerable amounts of terpenes which basically now moves the amount of THCV which was always there to begin with but was diluted by the fact that the earlier samples had terpenes in there just diluting the THCV. Now that the age hash sample has lost its terpenes you could actually get a more better representation of the of the cannabinoid profile. It's interesting though like from one to one, one data point to the other he shows um uh, THCA going down, which is what you would expect, right? Because THCA decarboxylates to make THC. A THC number goes up a little bit accordingly, and you see a little bit of rise in CBN. But yeah. actually, very strangely, CBDA goes up. What the fuck, man? How do you make more cannabinoid acids on standing? You don't do that. So What that tells you, again, is somewhat of the sensitivity of the HPLC measurement itself. I mean, you're getting into the weeds where making small differences of these numbers are really gonna have a big impact. And whether it's 67% or 68% or 65% is gonna really make a big difference because as you start to lose your terpene content in aged hash material, what you're gonna be left with is the non-volatile components of your extract, which are gonna be the cannabinoids. Cannabinoids don't volatilize; they will decarboxylate with time, and you'd expect to see that. I recently ran a test of a piece of uh, Panama Red that was 10 years old and had no THCA in it whatsoever. It was just it was all THC. So everything that was left on the plant material had completely decarboxylated. So it's not out of the ordinary to see decarboxylating
9: from room temperature.
4: Yeah, it happens at room temperature. It's just really slow at room temperature. And and the reaction is, is first order and linearly increases with an increase in temperature. So a, as you increase temperature, the reaction rate goes faster and faster and faster and faster. So yeah, it happens at room temperature. It's just really slow. And you know, 10 years, I, I expected to see a little bit of trace cannabinoid acids, but no, a flower sample, 10 years old kept aerobically. That's really important. And and this is kind of like what what Sam and Colin were pointing to earlier. And there was a comment in the in the um, chat room about this, too, which is the difference between cured and uncured. You know, it's really there's 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 two aspects about post-harvesting Uh, or production in cannabis, and one is drying, right, because there's a lot of water in the material, right, so the plant material has to be dried, but then there's curing, and they happen independent from one another. They're not necessarily related, although curing happens during the drying process. Drying happens pretty quickly, getting down to the point where you're drying the flower material below the point at which it could support mold growth. Typically that number used to be 14%. I've seen the hemp industry here in the U.S. want to move that number down to 11%. Typically when we take biomass in a building, we like to see anywhere between 10% or lower in, in, in just water activity in the biomass. That'll tell you that it won't, it won't foul. But where that is also really, really important too, is that If you're measuring cannabinoid content and you're measuring it on fresh biomass that's got water in it versus dried biomass, which has got no water in it, you're going to get a completely different result, right? So you have to be able to take your fresh cannabis, weigh it, characterize it, dry it, right? Pull all that water out because that water creates weight. And all of that weight is going to throw your cannabinoid measurement off. It's going to make it seem like it's a lot lower than it is when actually the cannabinoids in the dried biomass are, are, are greater than they are in the wet biomass because water, there's quite a bit of water in freshly grown biomass. But just to mention one thing about the cure is that it's important. And I guess this speaks to something that Sam has always talked about, you know, that that harshness of fresh cannabis and what we know from doing um, terpene profiling is that there's an abundance of a particular single terpene called myrcene. You can think of myrcene as kind of like the mother of all terpenes. Myrcene can go in five different ways to five different terpenes, which can go to five different terpenes and so on and so on. So what happens in the curing process is actually that mercene doesn't only evaporate, it also is oxidized and converted over into oxygenated ter- oxygenated terpenes or terpenoids, right? So once terpenes react with oxygen, so oxygenated terpenes, an example is linalool, like right? linalool has an oxygen, and there's other terpenes like camphor that have oxygen Uh, So as soon as they have an oxygen molecule, now it's going to completely change the flavor profile because the flavor of those oxygenated terpenoids changes the overall essence of the native terpene profile when the plant is freshly harvested. So I believe that 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 curing process is not only evaporating, which again, maybe cuts back a little bit on the harshness of just too much terpenes, but it also changes the terpenes chemically into a kind of like an aged uh, uh, wine profile or an aged cheese profile. You know, cheese and wine in particular are things that are aged, and when they're aged, they're aerobically reacting with air and kind of changing up things a little bit to make them a little bit different in how they taste and what their flavor is. Okay, now we're getting. So, kind of chart- so, Mark,
3: that you know, I've I've noticed over the years with dry sift versus fresh frozen versus you know dry material processing, the experience and the terpene profiles are vastly different, and the taste profiles are vastly different. Even though they represent one another in some form factor or another, um, the terpene and the terpenoid are very different in terms of taste um, on the on the on one's palate. So do you, do you have any explanation for why uh, this age process, you know, is, is creating yeah, so these the, similar the, the profiles but very terpenes, different
4: feelings? The oxygenated terpenes are, uh, you know, uh, uh, carvone is, is one, carvone. One an isomer of Carvone, so, you know, when I say isomers or enantiomers, they're kind of like your hands. And so there's a right-handed version and there's a left-handed version, right, left, right, left. Yep. And one of them smells, one of the versions of Carvone smells like rye bread, like caraway seed. So, you know, if you get freshly cut rye bread and it's got the caraway seed, that caraway. The other one, which is just the mirror image of this molecule, is completely spearmint peppermint. So, you know, how the human palate has developed uh, the ability to ascertain the differences in these molecular structures to give different, you know, elicit different reactions. is just, it's amazing. It's how sophisticated the human palate is and, and why we can taste different elements of cannabis. And so like we were talking last week about what like, the most valuable terpene and I'm on I'm on team terpenylene. <laughs> well, you know, terpenylene, uh, uh, again, actually, there's a couple different versions of terpenylene. And, and cannabis, again, creates this opportunity to really exploit all these compounds in the different ways that they manifest their different flavors and scents. And I've said it before, I'll say it again it was terpenes that drew humans to cannabis, it was cannabinoids that made them stay.
5: I just wanted to say, Mark, that when we did analysis, stability testing, uh, gee whiz, this was 25 years ago, uh, what we found was that even after two years of storage, most of the THC was in the acid form, most of the terpenes were gone, and that there was little to no uh, CBN.
4: Yeah. Yeah, I, I don't we know. Cool, I mean, we, we were this, this, this cool nugget of Panama red. I think was just in a in a in a baggie in a in a dresser drawer for like ten years. So I think there was no special care to its uh, storage or anything like that. But you know, it's not at all you know uh, unbelievable to think that again, prolonged storage, you know, in the right environment, that that stuff is going to decarboxylate. That's why when I looked at Frenchie's data, I'm like, oh yeah, yeah, this looks. I, I would expect to see exactly exactly this. And you know, again, it would be interesting to look at um, I guess, the terpene profile on aging, because what I would expect, and again, this is the stuff that we've already talked about episodes prior on hash church, is that we would see hash hashishine. Am I not saying it right? <laughs> we would see the formation of hashishine on the outside because it's a light catalyzed reaction so where light is able to sort of react with the terpenes that are on the surface of the hash. I think what that paper talked about was sort of scraping off the surface and they found sort of like this oxidative degradation coat that where this hashishine degradation terp would be, but I I would expect that if you follow the terpene profile in the curing of the flower, that you would see exactly what 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 Frenchie sees in his data too, which is that not only do the terpenes change, but they probably they're they they're fugitive, meaning that they evaporate. And once they evaporate, they, they go away.
5: In, in, in India, you don't find hessene, you find charsee. <laughs> <Okay.
4: laughs>
3: <laughs> so, Mark, you know, I. Over time, I have some terpene samples that I've kept for around four years now, um, in, in freezing, you know, you know, minus, in freezing conditions, and I'm seeing um, it being coming less viscous and more jelly-like over time. And I'm waiting another six months to get that the samples tested because I have a timeline on the te- on the shelf life study. But I'm curious to see how this consistency is going to match up with the profiles, you know, ability to to show the the spectrum of all the terpenes that were once present when we first put them in versus when we took them out versus what they've actually turned into. And some have oxidized and some have not. So you're seeing color in some, but in others, you're not. So there's, you know, that alone, what you're touching on is is really interesting to me, because it's it shows in, in, in you know, just illustrates what we're actually seeing in real time in, in terms of a shelf life study.
4: Yeah. Well, and and cannabinoids act as antioxidants. So cannabinoids actually stabilize the terpenes from oxidizing in, in certain ways, shapes, or form. It's really interesting because with a lot of the hemp processing that's going on these days, you know, I think the first goal of of hemp was to sort of get get CBD out the door and i think now they're paying a little bit more attention to the minor cannabinoids and now finally the terpenes you know so uh, again i, I think what, what's really fascinating here is i think that like most of these people who are growing these beautiful varieties of hemp <laughs> And then just basically treating it as just a raw ingredient to make CBD isolate or really missing most of the value that's what's in the hemp plant, which is all the minor cannabinoids, the minor terpenes and everything. And even if you're trying to make a business model today of opening up a facility to turn hemp into CBD isolate, you're probably going to be pressed to not... Uh, well, you're probably going to be pressed to look at other adjacent opportunities because you're not going to be able to make a whole lot of money just selling CBD isolate these days.
1: Sam, you've tested some, probably some of the oldest uh, hashish or cannabis in the world. What are some of the things that have been found in those resins that are still left over? What are, what are, well,
4: what are to still be
1: active, inactive?
5: Oh, I I never tested hash that was older than about 15, 20 years, number one. And number two, I kept it frozen away from oxygen, away from light, and uh, it barely changed.
0: You preserved it. I felt this. I had herb in my freezer for six years that I pressed into rosin, and it was as loud as it would have been six years prior had I pressed it in before. The only problem was rosin did ex- didn't exist when it went into my freezer, but it did exist when I took it out six years later.
1: Well, then Afghanistan, they used to bury their, the Keef, right, a certain amount of feet deep to keep it cool back in the day before they actually pressed it. Correct, Sam? So, you know, is that well, where you learned um, just to keep it refrigerated in a cool dark place?
5: Story, along with the story of uh, in India naked uh, people running through the, uh, the, the plantation to uh, scrape the hash off their bodies. But uh, I'm not sure how much hash was actually buried or the reason or, or yeah, I, 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 I'm not sure. But uh, yeah, uh, I'm not sure hash gets better after being buried a year. Depends the temperatures. If it was really cold, it'd be fine. I, I, I just, when I hear a story from from farmers or traditional hashish people, I, I take it with a grain of salt because one of the, like in India, I, I've talked to farmers there and they said, oh yeah, the papaya is from India. <laughs> but it's not.
1: Thank you for dismissing that misinformation. We appreciate you.
6: I think that it's also interesting just to bring, um, you know, the microbiology into this discussion. Is that when you keep it in the freezer and away from light, you're really uh, you're not allowing colonization of microbiology on that hash. So, you know, that's a big part of the breakdown as well. Oxida- oxidation, um, you know, also makes microbiology come alive, which is be really cool to see aging studies and microbiology and the DNA of what comes alive and what is, you know, consuming the terpenes and the cannabinoids, just like totally mind-blowing. I'll let you say
9: something in just one sec, Mark, but it would be interesting to do, you know, a resin uh, um, curing test with a hydroponic you know, herb and then something with a fully living soil one. I bet the living soil or the soil one would last longer and have longer probably terpenes in it. What do you think?
4: Uh, I think microbes are going to eat up cannabinoids like it's, you know... <laughs> Young kids going to Dairy Queen.
7: <laughs>
10: you know,
4: it's it's readily available carbon and hydrogen energy for microbes, and yeah, it doesn't stand a chance. Everything, you know, my microbes have figured out how to eat everything except the carbon carbon fluorine bond, right? They haven't figured out how to metabolize that, but they figured out everything else. And they could do what well what we used to call in the field mineralization right when you put samples out there and basically they're they're consumed immediately i was on a a, a project where we were looking at treatments for wood preservation right not viagra not the little blue pill people we're talking about things that you know are chemicals that they inject in the woods so Wood can last in an outdoor setting without being eaten by termites or bugs. So as it turns out, the first infestation into wood is not by termites, you know, the things that eat, uh, or not by fungus, it's by bacteria. Bacteria get into the wood and they basically ring the dinner bell for everybody else because the bacteria has to go in there and they have to start loosening up things in order for the termites and the fungi and all the other stuff to come in and start rotting the wood so it's just a microbial zoo of things that again has had the time course of evolution to figure out how to properly you know utilize all of the carbon that's in the biosphere and the reason why you don't see heaps of huge you know wood on the sides of the road is because it degrades. Fungus has figured out how to degrade dead wood and dead logs and so when they fall in the forest and no one hears it, right? Silent but golden, the you know fungi gets in there and before you know it, the termites start eating it up, it becomes a house for all kinds of microbes and rotten wood is really, really important to reestablish the microbial flora, the forest floor. So it's really important to basically have this cycle that's been going for eons of evolution to continue.
0: I'd like I to know, you know, know how we
4: started on that. It. Sorry. Um,
0: i just been learning my Discord in the background. What I saw was, uh, you know, I, I figured out this Discord thing a little bit through watching these Harry Mack freestyle raps that he's been doing on Omegle, which if you haven't watched, you should absolutely watch. This guy's got the like highest vibration possible. He's absolutely crushing it. But he turned me on to Discord. I haven't really been using it, but someone in the chat was like, I wish there was a Discord. I said, I have one. I shared it. And now there's a whole chat going on uh, over here. You can kind of hear it in the background going, bop, bop, bop. I'll have to turn that off soon. But uh, you can share videos. You can share pictures. The chat room will be up forever now because it's a Discord channel. So it'll be a 24-7 Hash Church channel. Um, the address is kind of strange. I'm going to put it in the link to this video when we're done. Uh, but I did share
1: it as well. And it's- can you put it in the chat so I can join on Discord?
0: Yeah, I'll put it in the chat. No problem, Etienne. And uh, it's uh, it's very it's like discord.gg. And then it's a bunch of silly, silly, silly letters, like five or six, which I won't mention here. But I've got it in the chat room. I've got it in the private Zoom chat, and I'll put it in the comment section of this video when we're done. And I would, I would suggest join us on Discord. The chat room will stay up forever. I'll keep the link uh, going as long as I can, and then it'll really kind of create. These other six days of Hash Church that aren't happening where we could kind of maybe build through the chat room, find out questions that people have, create a topic base for us to talk about on Sunday, and maybe even find some great new people to invite on um, as panelists. So I just wanted to kind of chime in on that. Didn't want to change the subject too much because I really appreciate what you guys are talking about, but uh, Discord. It's Just
7: going to say, Mark, um, I have Discord, but set up a couple different different chat rooms inside Discord. So I have a general, set up some rules, set up stuff on like dry sis, set up stuff on Hash, just like you have on your Facebook group. Um, so it's really fun. I have a Johnny B. Grow room on Discord. I've had it for like over a year, but uh, it's definitely awesome. So create different groups in there for yourself and have a Hash Church, just a se- separate topic just for Hash Church. So you'll set that in your channel and set up like, five or ten or whatever you want and that way you have different parts instead of everybody just going to general and creating a huge just different thing in there but it's awesome i joined right away i'm looking forward to hash. johnny
4: b grow room isn't that a chuck berry song yeah the johnny b grow room
3: i think it might be
0: thanks johnny b i just created the hash church room
3: um reminds me of true stoners uh from back in the day man modern version of true stoners chat and Etienne was
0: the first in
3: john
7: nice john
0: in the zone now very good very good thanks for that johnny b thanks for to dirty and to logan mm-hmm. in chat who mentioned the discord thing in the first uh place and i yeah i think discord is kind of like a place isn't it kind of like a Mailchimp where you can kind of have all your social medias running through discord and have your chats and i haven't really played around with it too much but it seems pretty good and great uh, so many different topics
7: in there you can put all your links to all your hash churches can be in their church episodes you can like go wild it's it's awesome like i said i have like 15 years is going off like crazy it's like messaging me like you got like 60 new messages in the last minute by the way. That's awesome.
0: I just have to figure out how to stop it from making... Oh, definitely. Oh, right yeah. there, you
1: see a little bell? Just hit that bell. It, it mutes the sound. Yeah. Oh, I'll
0: just hit the headphones. I don't see the bell, but there, you're right. Thank you. Muting a chat. I mean,
7: you'll find different groups in there, too. I'm on like one, two, three, four, five, six, seven different Discord groups all related to cannabis, right? So, um, yeah, it's, it's pretty awesome. You'll have a lot of fun in there. It's kind of like I'll, that first one you showed us with... Um,
0: Clubhouse, yeah, I got I got 58 people online in the chat room right now, which is obviously not as much as we have in the YouTube. We have, and I want to say this, you know, the consistency that we offered in the last four weeks has raised our live viewers by about 20%. We were in and around the 400 range today. We were at 567 people when we topped out for live people. Right now, there's actually 523. So. We bumped up about a hundred people and it might not sound like that much, but when you ho- when it's only 500 people, that's literally 20% uh, increase. So I like the consistency, even if we don't have a conversation to talk about, I love the idea of gathering on Sundays, shooting the shit. Sometimes it's going to be stories about concerts and the old days and other times it's going to be in-depth breakdowns on science. And, uh, you know, some days it'll be both, but, uh, Yeah, it's good. I appreciate it. I want to say uh, welcome to Mr. Alec Dixon. I was sharing your uh, terpene chart earlier while Dr. Mark was talking, and I also want to uh, welcome Mr. Uh, Best Friend Farms in the house. Brian, how are you doing, buddy?
9: And Alice.
0: And Alice, Girls in Green, that's right. I didn't even welcome her. That's terrible of me. And I I saw your better half was there with you as well. I think we're supposed to say that when we talk about our spouses, right? There are better halves. Yeah,
6: they
8: are. He's gone to the farmer's market, though. Hash Church is on the same time as farmer's market, so we always have a hard time.
0: Oh, my goodness. Well, I appreciate the... uh, the, um, (laughs) First of all, I appreciate the energy because uh, Hash Church does tend to be... A little bit of a sausage party sometimes maybe often so i always appreciate the the female energy and uh, i try to invite as many females as possible because i have a deep appreciation for your guys' perspective so thank you
8: thank you so much for having me here and happy sunday everyone
0: absolutely yeah thank you what, let's, let's have a puff and let's, let's uh, start talking. I want to see people exhaling.
4: Inhale, exhale, inhale, exhale. <laughs> I think
3: hey, Mark. I'm going to get a little lemon cake in my lungs. Right back.
4: Mark, remember on that, uh, that post that you made this week on Facebook, you talked about, you know, rolling out your hash and I, I asked you, can you share any data on this? Are, are you, are you able to tell us about how yeah. great this material is that you guys are rolling out throughout Canada?
0: Well, okay. What I can tell you is a few things I got to be careful and anyone that hasn't muted their discord and is still listening, uh, have their mic open up here. And I'm looking at you, Johnny B, um, mute that shit. <laughs> okay. So I can tell you a few things I, and it's all, you know, it's all kind of funny. Like we can't mention the company that grew it because we don't have a deal with them to mention their company. So we're not keeping them in the shadows for any reason other than out of respect for them because they may go to market and release their own thing down the road. So we can't mention their, their name, but what I can mention is the cultivar. It was an Afghan kush. It is an Afghan kush. We are uh, using flour. And because of the system in Canada, you know, when I first made my first batch and I got my, seven to eight varieties, you know, 220 down to 25. You know, I understood suddenly that in order to get that to market, if you want to keep all of those microns separately, you will now need to do a $1,500 full test on like yeasts and molds counts, pesticides, herbicides, terpenes, cannabinoids, uh, the full test and you'll have to do it times eight. So you increase. $1,500 a test in Canada. Correct, Canadian, yeah. So about like eleven hundred bucks U.S. or whatever for a for a full. This isn't just ca- uh, cannabinoids or terpenes, right? Whatever. No, call no, it. It. We're not paying four thousand U.S. a pound, so yeah. I <laughs> No, I
3: mean, I'm, I'm just saying, right saying like, gonna... for for you, it's like because I pay six fifty, and it's like to me yeah, that's yeah. tough, right? U.S. I, I pay six eighty
4: five, six eighty five. Right. And... And full panel, exactly everything was, you just described. I was thumb downing because ahead. it's
3: just too much in my mind in terms of cost. Well, imagine. But I also. Attention but attention. to your point, Marcus, what are we going to do? We have to do it. Right? Well,
0: it, you know, and so you also have to make sure. Here's another thing: if you're going to sell to retail, here the provinces are the ones that order. So you're selling to like an entire state. That's who's ordering for every store in the state. So when you get a province, and we've already gotten two. It's a big fucking deal. It's a province. There's millions of people that live in it and you just got a go from a province. So here's the, here's the kicker. You want to release your 90 micron hash and you want to pay your 685 times 8 bags to figure out what each micron is and keep them all separate. Well, the province might order 20 kilos of that from you, maybe even 30. And if they sell it really quick, because it's such a spectacular material, you had better have another 20, 30 kilos ready for them when they want to order it. And if you don't, you drop to the bottom of the key. It's not a good look if you can't supply what you've already supplied. Now, if you have five of these provinces and they're all ordering 20 or 30 kilos at a time and selling through it in a couple of months, how the fuck are you going to produce that much 90 micron hash? Right. So it becomes a little bit of a trick what most people do with smaller batches here in Canada is they sell them into the medical market and you end up having the ability to kind of give a good deal, sell direct to customers, but it's quite different from um from the recreational. So what I managed to do was and it was It was fairly easy because the material I'm running is quite nice and almost all of it is this beautiful, consistent golden color. It's only really the 220 that we have to keep out. And that even tested at almost 50% THC, the the 220. So we're getting the rest of it testing in between the 55 to 70 plus percent. And so what I was able to do was make two grades. I took sort of what I felt like were the best microns, 120, 73, 90, 45. Those all went into one grade. And then I made a B grade, which was like uh, 190, 160, 25, which was still over 60% uh, THC with a decent terpene content. Um, When I hit it with a hair straightener, I hit a tiny little bit of the powder and it's beautiful. You know, for me, when I hear the smokers in the room who are pulling the bags, and I'm at the back of the lab and I hear them pull the 90 micron bag and I hear them go, I know that that's good hash, but there's no mechanisms for me to smoke it, to test it, to try it. But what I did do is I took a little bit of powder and I gently hit it with a tiny little bit of heat. And what that did was it created this beautiful stained glass window. And we have shipped out our first batch of this. So I'm going to go buy some in the next couple of days, probably tomorrow, and I'll smash it with the hair straightener and I'll be able to take some nice pictures of showing how clean and gold leafy it is. I suspect it's going to melt and boil into a beautiful liquid, but is it a six star? Is it a five star? Is it a four star? I hope we fall in the five plus, but because I haven't been able to try it, I'm certainly not going to put my name on the line and tell people that it's the full melt six star hash. Like I've seen plenty of companies doing, we've taken a more pragmatic perspective. We're going to release this hash without calling it full melt. And if it tends to be full melt, like I suspect it's going to be, um, then we'll share that with people. And I'm looking forward to the reviews and for, to people. I mean, man, I'm so excited that Hash has finally gone out from my company. It's under the brand Hank Co. Um, and it is uh, sold throughout British Columbia. The, the, the province has it now. So if you own a store and you want to give it a shot, give them a call and it'll be sold under the Hank brand. It'll be the Afghan Kush. And that's, uh, that's about what I can share for now, Dr. Mark.
3: That's super cool, Marcus. Thanks, Mark. Um, you've been working on that project for awesome. a really long time, and that's that's like you know I've, I've watched you you know start that thing. Yeah, and,
4: you awesome. Know,
3: you know, it's amazing, what, man. I'm, I'm what, so what does the
4: know. hash analyze for? Like, what what what's its potency about? You know, ballpark. Like, what do you expect to see? What's typical
0: of the of the potency of the hash in regards to the THC content? Yeah, THCA, right? Wouldn't it be THCA? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sorry, exactly, THCA. Um, In and around like between like, you know, 60 to 70, this particular hash, the B grade is around the 60, the A grade is around the 70. So you got about a... 10% 10% bump on the A to the B. It's all from the same yeah. cultivar. I like the idea of giving people the idea. They don't all know about micron sizes, but they're going to start learning with these two grades. They're going to be like, wow, like the grade A is definitely different from the grade B. Like I said, I haven't been able to try it because our system it has created this, this system that does not allow for pathways. Apparently, in Canada, you can apply for R and licenses where you can get permission to actually try the product. This is very important. This would be the equivalent of letting people open up restaurants, but not allowing them to test the food before they put it on the plate for people. Yeah. Now. I'm not completely blind, and I suspect if Gordon Ramsay needed to bust out a fat meal and wasn't allowed to test it, he could probably still do a pretty good job on that. But obviously, we want and need the ability to test. Uh, And I should, you know, give a shout out to uh, Mike West as well, who's in the room, who's been working with me since, like, tirelessly on this project since the beginning. He's He's gone above and beyond any human being's ability to put more of his time into this project, uh, probably second only or or tied with Craig, who's also one of my colleagues uh, at Embark. And I just wanna shout them both out because uh, without the work they've done, we wouldn't be where we are right now. And a shout out to the whole team for that matter.
4: Well, if you guys are running at the scale that those reactors are at, I mean, I'm sure everybody in the chat room, all the hash makers who are listening right now, They appreciate, you know, I mean, when you go from like home scale or, you know, like small production scale to that scale, and you have that much material at stake, you're talking, you know, hundreds of thousands of dollars in one batch, I would assume, you know, and again, it's great to have Alec on here because again, like that third party testing result and the relationship that you have with your third party testing uh, lab is really, really important to be able to get compliant stuff out into the market that meets the label requirements and all the other regulatory requirements of these new markets.
3: I concur with you, man. I I, gotta, I just want to say this out loud for the viewers. What Marcus is doing at scale, everyone, and from my perspective, I, I mean, I, I wash a lot at scale as well, but you know, to put that many grams in perspective to continuously make at scale at a specific quality level is very, very detailed. Um, And that's not something you just do overnight. And that's not something that you could take uh, an at home setup and really scale overnight with that's, that's years of Marcus honing in on, on, on all of this. And, and it goes beyond hash making in a lot of respect too. So it's, you know, major respect Marcus on, on all that. That's, you know, it's an incredible, You know, it's incredible, you know, I I would be
0: remiss if I didn't shout out Whistler Technologies and uh, the two Daves and Kelvin and Aaron and obviously the owner, Daniel and the entire sales team. uh, Brishna and Tyler and, you know, just the other Tyler and we got a great team over there. They've done an incredible job. I wasn't sure where I was going to land in this commercial commercial industrialized aspect of water extraction. But their heads they came from the right place they did all their their r d at whistler medical over the course of years and uh, it's been really a blessing to link up with them to hook up with them go check them out on instagram at whistler tech uh whistlertechnologies.ca if you want to check out the website and uh yeah we've done some pretty good things i mean i'm using 300 liters we just sold a unit recently that was two times 2,000 liters. And so we'll be talking about Rory and his team over at Sweet, uh, Sweet, uh, Sweetwater Hemp in Nebraska. These guys have been growing 3,000 plus acres for decades. They've got contracts with Walmart. They're, they grow veggies. They grow all sorts of different things. And now they're getting into the hemp game. They didn't want to be the same, same old ethanol extractors hydrocarbon co2 they went a totally different route and they've got this monster 4000 liter reactors 2000 times two that was the first one we ever built at whistler technologies it's up on my instagram if you want to go check it out it's definitely ridiculous and uh, yeah huge shout out to the entire team at whistler technologies for really um you know, for doing a ton of this work, I could never take credit for it uh, uh, on my own. I am merely one small component of it. And uh, like I say, from guys like Skunkman Sam being able to stand on the shoulders of giants, to all of you panelists, to the people that are in the room, we're all in this together.
4: You're the Sherpa, right? The Sherpa. Someone's got to lead the way. you know, I mean, you can't climb Mount Everest without a Sherpa. And you know, I know they don't look very organized, but they're, they're the people who get you there. They're the heroes, <laughs> so man. Those you're are the getting the industry everything. to where they need to go. And you probably didn't think about this when you were first making bubble, but you know, it's like how cool to see that. Not only and you know, again, we talked a little bit about this last time, but I don't think your viewers or the viewers really, really understand that when you spec something into good manufacturing process to GMP. It is just like all of your food and all your pharmaceuticals are made this way, and now you're applying this to the production of cannabis products. So it has all to do with your quality control and how you source your ingredients and your processes and the types of stainless steel you use in your tanks and everything. It impacts everything. That's why all the people you see back in Margus's place are all gowned from head to toe because you can't have beard hair or mustache hair or, or you know and am during covid it must be an extraordinary challenge again to have people who again you don't know where they're social distancing you don't know who they're coming in contact with right and now you need to bring people into a facility you have to basically know exactly who's coming in to where because you know there's a lot of material and inventory at at risk in in these facilities. And again, this is why testing is oh so important. And so, Mark, the question I really have, and again, this is, you know you don't have to answer it, but certainly something that I think we could try to figure out, which is like, now that you're making like a a, a water hash product, you know, really, it's probably really important to know like what the shelf life of, of these things are and like how you package it and how you produce it and how it's packaged. And then the quality control measures of, okay, there has to be like a certain level of moisture or a certain level of whatever terpenes in there. And when you're out of that window, sorry, that product does not meet specifications by GMP standards, that actually has to be removed and destroyed or reworked. You're you nailing know, it. Thing, yeah, the whole thing about reworking, the great thing about cannabis is something like hash, like if it does foul or something like that, you could essentially rework it back through making distillate or you could do something to clean it up but part of your gmp quality control production processes that have to be in place for these facilities have to go through every type of scenario that you could possibly imagine where you ship the material to atn's dispensary and now somebody buys it at ATN dispensary. They take it home. They send it to a lab. Now it doesn't test for what the label says. And that guy comes back and wants his money back and say, hey, this stuff was supposed to be 74%. It's only tested at 65%. What the hell? Well, this guy went to this shady lab over here and this guy wants to his business. So he's going to give him the result that he wants and starts this loop of, you know, how you get third-party testing result labs sort of competing with one another to provide the results that are needed to meet label requirements but it's not a small task to meet when you're trying to produce these and what you're saying is that you're winning over government contracts for entire provinces i mean you're talking about going from this level of production up to this level of production overnight that is not trivial so my hat's off to you marcus and all the team of folks that you mentioned because I know you don't do this by yourself and it's all these talented people, but these are people who bought into your vision and saw that, hey, you know what? We can take this high quality product that we can make at an artisan level and scale it up for the masses. And so I applaud your your, your instincts, your bravery, and the people who basically put money behind you to make this happen. You want to you wanna talk a little bit about that, Mike, in regards to how we're
0: kind of keeping that going on?
11: Yeah, so the
12: part of the hey, provincial- Mike. In... how's it going, hey, buddy? Hey, Mark. Good, Good can you guys you. hear me okay? Can you guys hear me okay? Yes, sir. Yes. Okay, yeah, so part of the government's provincial rules, they, they allow up to a 5% variance from your labeling. So when anytime you list a product, you actually have a basically a plus or minus 5% of what you list on that label. When and if your product is deemed to have gone through the degradation, uh, either by shelf life or by storage, to be more than 5%, you actually have to have that best by date listed on your label. Uh, I'm sure Alec could probably talk a little bit more about determining shelf life tests, but once once those tests have been determined for the for the hashes we actually have we'll have to recall them as well so part part of what we've we've done is actually taken a couple a fairly standardized batch of flowers ran it through a, a whole assortment of tests separating all, all the microns testing them figuring out which ones would work well with to try and fit some desirable potency targets and then uh, combine those different types of hashes too, as Mark mentioned, uh, kind of a A grade and a B grade, I think is what they're calling it right now. Um, of, you know, kind of a, two different blends, there are different broad spectrums of diff- uh, different microns. And then as we actually start adding different products above and below those different uh, grades, you'll actually start seeing the different uh, grades come out at just like we see with the different Mike. star ratings.
4: Mike, do those two fractions test differently? Like, would you see variations in cannabinoid and terpene levels between those two? So when you homogenize them, they make a, a sort of like a statistical mixture? Yeah, so
12: the- in in general, the smaller terpene, the smaller microns will have a higher terpene to cannabinoid ratio. Um, obviously, ter- some of those terpenes and primidine precursors are then stacked at the basal cells into the cannabinoids through, within that uh, glandular trichrome. So the highest potencies are in that um, 90 to 120 or 150 micron range, depending on the strain. Um, so, but you know what we kind of did is figured out, okay, we know that these are gonna be the ones that have the most mature tri- glandular trichrome heads they also t- test the highest and, and are going con- to contain the highest terpene content. Blend those into kind of a higher grade one, which ended up coming out with the terpene content, which I I don't have the paper in front of me, Mark, but I think it was eight percent potency difference between our spread in the B grade and our A grade. Um, which had the basically the A the B grade had a, one or two of the larger glandular trichome heads to get a lot of potency, and then one or two of the smaller Glandular heads, um, which would have higher terpene contents.
4: Right, I mean, it's Um, interesting to think that maybe even with the physical size and difference that just in storage, like if you had this like in a five gallon pail, that the dust at the bottom would test higher than say like the stuff at the top of the container is, I mean, you'd see, you'd be able to see some type of gradient just on storage. That you know would, would be either within that five percent window or 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 not. But I guess the question is, and again, Mike, maybe you've already figured this out. So if you're packaging this, say like in a in a puck or like a container like that, and you're um, putting it out on the market, but obviously there's you know, you know, uh, it stays in inventory and warehouses or wherever. I mean, at what point? Does terpene loss start to really move the needle on cannabinoid content? So, like, if you look at if you look at this data that we were referring to earlier, uh, this was some Frenchie canola uh, data that he post, posted on Facebook. It just showed again terpene loss that you would expect over a month. Yeah, there's less terpenes there, so actually you could see the impact now on cannabinoid content. So, is there a point at which, say? while well, we made that hash, say six months ago, now the terpene loss has been sufficient enough that if you were to test it for cannabinoids now, you're gonna find a different number.
11: The, so the, the
12: governments, when were only regulate the, uh, lay, they, say, they basically say anything you put on the label um, have to fall within a certain 5% range before it falls out of spec. Um, they don't regulate the terpenes, but unfortunately, the government of Canada doesn't require terpenes to be listed on labels. Um, oh. Okay. I, I, I wish they would, but uh, it's not required and not done. Yeah, by
4: bummer. Producers. Yeah, here um, in Pennsylvania, yeah. they 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 put on like the five most prevalent ones that they find, but I think they run a test for I believe twenty different terpenes, and I think if you want, you could actually go to the when you go to the dispensary, they can actually give you the report from the lab itself. So, wow, what a bummer that's yeah, not testing for terpenes, man. Well, well they, they do, that's that not shit. true,
0: Mark. They do test for terpenes. What no. Mike said, if you listen to him, was that the government of Canada we, not, does not require it, but some people ah, okay. it, and everyone tests for them.
4: Okay.
12: Yeah. So, so, So what we're able to do is kind of collect those tests for our own data. Uh, but, but, you know, in order to actually put them on the label, you have to actually fit them within the box. It's not required. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, well, what well, we ended up, I think our were mark where we were required to put the total cannabinoids, THC CBD. Um, I don't think that they require labeling on the minor cannabinoids, but many producers will, if they see uh, minor cannabinoid peaks, they will list it. Um, but there's no no government mandated uh, labeling of terpene profiles yet on the on the consumer packaging. So, but yeah, it, it, what they did what they did require is you know, whatever you label and you, yeah, when you actually submit your labels, there's a range that you have to submit your labels into, and so and, and plus or minus minus five percent within that range. Every you know, every sample or test that they pull, they're going to have to test that. So when we had to go through and list, you know, what are what are our proposed products for bubble hash? Anytime you, you have that spectrum of different ranges, each one of those potential product lines has to be listed as a uh, new and novel cannabis product, NNCP, um, just like you're listing a different grade of uh, alcohol, tobacco, or other regulated substance. So it, it becomes a relatively, complex uh thing but what most of the provinces want to be able
7: to see is that you have you know, relationships with existing it's because the province has
12: essentially a monopoly distribution on the the distribution we we as producers ship to the province the, the province then ships to the retailers or puts it online for sale uh, so we have to end up shipping big orders to the provincial warehouses within their, the states. Um, so it's it makes it a lot harder for the craft farmers because they can't just start marketing to the small local shops in the neighborhood. But there are a few provinces that have started allowing what's called farm gate retail distribution. Yeah, so that that's our, well, what Mark's showing right now is the pallet that we were wrapping up, getting ready to ship to the province of British Columbia. And that went to a undisclosed location here in, in uh, BC, and you know, how much product from, is
4: that right there, Mike?
12: So that's six hundred kilos of packaging and five point four kilos of hash, so five thousand four hundred grams. Um, but when you look at all the cardboard and inside of black Myron jars with the, its own custom labeled um and then those had to be kind of packaged into what the government wants as master cases, just like they want a specific numbers so, of uh you know, six packs of beers. A lot of the provinces want set units in the cases that they're offering to retail stores. I can, I
9: have a question for you when you do make seven or eight different bags of hash and you separate them all out and you find that you know that you you it's well, it's worth testing the 90 and the 73 and maybe the 120 can you take the other ones combine them and make rosin out of that make one product out of that and then test that one product
0: oh Yeah. Oh yeah, you can do that. Have,
12: yeah, you just have to kind of target, you know, the minimum provinces want to order is a couple of kilos. So each one of those fractions have to be uh, a couple of kilos, right?
8: Well, we already
0: explained that. And if it goes if it goes higher, it becomes impossible. How are you going to make 10 kilos of 90 micron hash from a certain skew within 5% of a range and then have the province yeah. order more like a month later and say, well, we want double that. We want 20 kilos now. And Ontario saw what we were doing. They want 30 kilos. Can you make that happen? Because we need it right away you get yourself into a situation where you, you can't maintain the pathway.
4: Well, and you have to do it in one batch too, right? Mark, you can't do it in like, like small artisans who don't have the size of equipment that you have. They'd have to make that in 10 batches. Well, now there's just going to be variation in those 10 batches where you have one big master batch because of the size of your vessel. You know, it's definitely
0: challenging. You know, it's definitely challenging, but Mike and I love a good challenge. So we've been, uh, we've really been kind of enjoying the journey. And this is just the beginning of it. And I, I am definitely going to get to a place where I can have my own bubble man branded hash under micron specific, you know, microns, but it's just, uh, it's, you know, it took me 30 years just to get to this might take some more months to get to that.
9: I was wondering, maybe, if, we, if we've talked a lot about that, if, to bring um, Allison to it and talk about what's happening in California, what kind of things are you having to get through to get Hash? to the market and the current situation in California.
6: And I just wanted to say really quick, adding on to what Mike was saying, just for the listeners, when something is not required, such as listing terpenes, then that means that, you know, the small farmers and the small micro licensed people that are growing these beautiful flowers or products would really like to have that listed. They pass it over to the LP and the LP because it's not required. They just won't put it on there. So it doesn't really stand out at all. So this is the problems of um, you know not not requiring it because then the LPs have the, the power to decide what to do. And yes, I, I would love to to hear from you, Alice, as to what's going on in California. And Flynn. Well actually Flynn
8: is better. Yeah, to answer this one.
5: Yeah, you can talk about fully method Yeah. Well you go first. You
0: Look at these two cuties!
9: Look at these guys! Let's just relish in the cuteness.
1: <laughs> you go first. Thank no, you. Go. No. 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 All right. Somebody decide.
10: Yeah. If if um if, yeah if uh, Alice is taking a dab, I'll I'll let her weigh in a little bit. Yeah, California. I'm just hearing everything you were just describing about Canada um, with packaging labeling requirements. You know, a lot of that's very similar in the new license space in California, and so. Um, you know, kind of everything has pretty much labeled and packaged testing to face, but, um, you know, kind of uh, enforce you to be plus or minus 10% of the final label. You know, and I was going to mention, it's like incredibly difficult, you know, for, um, I mean, it seems like Canada kind of took. All the kind of greatest of kind of a lot of the states, including California, and then kind of really went. Um, you know, from from what I've seen, um, there's definitely a lot more. Um, there, yeah, there's there's. Um, it, it makes it really really difficult for people to, to get products. one, have to work with an incredibly dialed lab that can kind of ensure that their quality and uh, accuracy and precision across time can you know be able to be you know, uh, meet, meet uh, the labeling, you know, that, you know, because if, you know, if somebody does an R&D test kind of along the way and they find, um, you know, kind of 75% content, you know, and they're going to end up using that on a label that they put in the final form, you know, it, it requires that, you know, the trust and faith in the laboratory that you're doing testing with is going to be able to even hit those kind of quality kind of plus or minus measurements. Five uh, percent is incredibly close. And I would imagine just on that level, you know, kind of, you know, I, I, I seriously question how many labs are actually able to be accurate, and precise kind of in that level. Um, but, uh, you know, and then beyond that, too, just the, the way Canada kind of uh, really put, you know, you know, California, I guess, like uh, a lot of the pesticides and such you fail for, you know, have action limits established you know, and it seems like California, or it seems like uh, uh, Canada took those action limits and severely um, made it tighter. So like it, from what I saw, it was about, what, 10 parts per billion is the average allowed level of what's gonna create a fail, which is on its own. It's pushing the boundaries of analytical chemistry's ability to test at those tiny levels, um, not to mention the accuracy and precision that those labs are gonna be able to kind of do on an ongoing level.
11: Yeah, no, I'd agree. I'd agree with like everything, everything you said for sure. And then a lot of it comes down to like the cost of testing, the cost of um, putting your product in the marketplace and then having to be really conscious of like the super high levels of taxes that your product's going to have. Even before it hits the like retail level, so to speak, because you'll be taxed at the distribution level. Um, And then you'll be taxed three different times on the sales. So you have to be ultimately conscious about when you're doing a batch and you have to pay for testing how many dollars or how many cents does that add to each unit and keeping that cost to a minimum, stuff like that. And then also a lot of the things are really hard to control because you're forced to use other businesses that you might not own or have control of through the line of products. Like we need to use a distributor, for example, to sell, be able to sell our product to retailers. So since we don't have a distribution license, I have to rely on someone else to handle our product correctly and actually follow our SOPs for when it gets delivered to the retailer. And then the, each retailer too has to know how to like intake that product correctly, put it in the freezer, put it in the refrigerator stuff like that and keeping control of your product all the way down to when the customer actually gets it is a lot harder in this system uh that they've created
8: and for full melt is crazy like how yeah, hard for are you specifically. to specifically like uh, it's just tough. Preserve like perfectly like heads full melt for the final customers too so it's kind yeah. of yeah so i feel like hard on the legal market
11: a lot of kind of where we've been moving in the market for California has been toward like a heavily controlled like delivery service and more like a subscription service because with our product it's really hard to communicate to each individual retailer how to handle it and then each buyer because let's say oh, you talk to the manager who's there on Monday, Wednesday, and Friday, but then your delivery comes in on Tuesday and the dude who's taking in your product, you never talked to. And he never got communicated to how to handle your specific product because it's so different. So then your product gets intake and then sits on a shelf at like 80 degrees in their warehouse for like a week before the other person realizes like, oh my God, this should be in a refrigerator. So then you have like a kilo or two of product that essentially like almost got spoiled and you know you have to take that hit essentially and decide well do we pull back the product and maybe discount it do we just not release it at all and you know have to put it in maybe edibles or something like that but once it hits a certain level like once it gets past distribution you can't pull it back always so you either have to sell it or destroy it so make some decision-making very difficult.
0: It's definitely not easy the way we get kind of pushed into these corners, but I remember the old corners with the gun in the face, the 10 years, the shoot your dog, the take your kids. And that was definitely worse. Like this sucks and we can moan and whine and bitch about it. But it's not as bad as what it was just like 10 plus years ago or whatever. And, and it's still happening to a degree, of course, but at least we have pathways. And we're kind of having this conversation in the room right now where people are saying, well, wow, lots of people are being kept from the business. It's like lots of people are kept from every business. Like, are you kidding me just because you grew weed and you paid some of your bills does not give you the entitlement to automatically be involved in a business that is a business it still involves having to do all the right moves it's still you know it's like anyone can play to a degree but you have people saying oh i'm gonna need hundreds of thousands of dollars if i want to get a license well i would need millions of dollars if i wanted to build houses and and flip them i don't have the skill i don't have the money so i avoid the business doesn't mean i don't want to be a part of it i'd love to be a part of that business are they keeping me out of that business because I'm not in that business because I don't have millions of dollars to buy homes and flip them on the, and so I'm kind of have a hard time with that conversation where it's like, at what point do we let every single person be a part of this business when it's not like that for any other business in the world? You either find your way or you don't.
11: I think the big difference though is you don't have the same financial tools that other businesses do in the, in the, in the quote unquote, mainstream uh, society. Like if I I have a college education or whatever, if I had experience and had worked under someone, I could go out and get a loan to start a construction company. Seriously, you could go and get a million dollars from a bank as a normal person.
0: And you can do it as a cannabis person. Tons of people have done it. Like in my country, we raised hundreds of millions, billions of dollars. You could have moved to Canada and started your legal cannabis business. You you live in n- North America. You could have easily come to Canada. You could have I'll easily
11: go to Canada though. when California alone is bigger than Canada. because they're
0: limiting you. You just said they're not giving you the ability that you can go and take a loan. So then you shift. You want to be in this yeah, business.
11: To just up and move up to a whole new country though. Well,
0: yeah. lots of people have done it, believe it or not. You're sitting next to a girl who literally up and moved to a complete country and then married you. I mean, yeah, <laughs> like.
8: It's true. No, but it, I mean, I feel like there are some obstacles, like as a legal business, you know, like I don't know, get a, a or like have a bank account, you know, like legal businesses here have a, have a hard time having just a bank account, like a bank that accepts like a legal cannabis
6: business. So there are yeah,
7: totally.
3: Do. I'm on the east coast in a regulated market, and it's just it's nearly impossible. Um, in terms of how where where does your money come from where does it go and I I agree but I also agree with Marcus you got to go where your opportunities are and and try to forge a pathway forward and I'm I I firmly believe what Marcus believes you got to I didn't have
0: millions of dollars. I didn't, I didn't invest millions of dollars to start this company. I did it with knowledge and I connected with people and I just, you know, it's just like, of course I want everyone to have the ability to do all the things that they want to do. But I hear a lot of people complaining that they're, that they're being kept out of the industry. And I'm like, well, what does the industry have to do like to, to allow everyone to come? You know, I've never been in an industry that literally is open to any single person. It doesn't matter if you started a day ago and have no information or no knowledge, you get to start a business in this industry. And it's kind of crazy, the, the levels of entitlement that are, people are feeling, in particular with cannabis. I've, I've never seen it with any other business the way I've seen it with cannabis and I
3: you know Marcus the music industry is kind of like that you know because it's all about your hands it's about your knowledge it's about what you put into the thing that you put out and I think that what you're illustrating is is kind of just that is is your your knowledge and your passion really more importantly is what brought you to where you are and I share that same that same vision with you man I, I think it's only about you know what you what you're passionate about and how you 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 kind of choose to to go down that pathway with it, you know?
0: All banging our head against the wall for thirty plus years. Certainly, yep. nothing happened easily. I was arrested. I was put in jail. Like I yep. I I felt all of these things that people are saying the, that the industry did. You know, like I caught charges. I had like all of these different things happen to me, and I just kind of worked through them. And I just traveled, and it was my journey. And you know, I definitely support people in their journey. I have a ton of people asking me all the time, how do I break into this industry? How do I get into the cannabis industry? And I'm always like, man, I don't know, like, what's your passion? Like, to me, cannabis is everything. If you're a scientist, you can get into the cannabis industry. If you're you know, like a cell biologist or a tissue culture, or a, you know, whatever it is. If you're a if you're a security guy that want you've got a job in, in in cannabis. If you're you know a grower or a processor, if you're an accountant, if you're part of leadership and you want to be a CFO, there's so many different things you can do today that you couldn't do 20 years ago in the cannabis industry that it's brought a lot of people into the ability to to be a part of this industry. You know, even if it's just like a a laborer, and you want to learn how to grow in a greenhouse, or you want to, you know, learn how to be a lab tech, these things are kind of all available. And these were jobs that were not available, like 20 years ago in Canada, they just didn't exist. And so the fact that kids are excited to go back to university, these sciences, because they see positions are going to be opened up for them, and that they can, you know, like, wow, this is opening up, I'm going to go get my degree, I'm going to come out, and I'm going to be a part of this industry. Like, I think all of that is, uh, is amazing. But I definitely have a hard time with people. People in Canada for the longest time were complaining about the micro grow. Oh, you got to have a million dollars. You got to have a million dollars. And then some woman did it with like, I don't know, like $50,000. And she was like, no, it can be done. It can be done. Like, trust me, it's just, just instead of complaining that it can't be done and creating problems for the solutions, flip the script and create solutions for the problems because it can be done.
3: Absolutely
10: agree. Yeah, and I, I do too. And and then although you know, in California and kind of across the, the United States, for that matter, you know, it's, um, it, for ca- in legal cannabis markets,
6: odds have, you know, with regulation been put in place. Uh,
7: responded groups today, you know, and we've been able to find
10: back against the small guy. There's also tremendous advantage, you know, from a lot of what we're seeing. And, and, uh, you know, with the banks, you know, banks are is a whole definitely issue. You know, we've over the last uh, 11, 10 years, um, you know, we, we definitely had like 25 bank accounts shut down. And, uh, and so it's been a constant kind of process to kind of roll through and find and, you know, work through this real complicated space. But, you know, I mean, that's kind of the journey, you know, and, and, you know, if you have the passion, you'll find a way. Um, and so, you know, I do agree with, you know, the complaint, uh, or problem, you know, creating problems out of existing problems or, you know, just, uh, to, yeah, to, to find a way it's like passion will find a way. Um,
8: It's
9: not that everyone's unhappy, they're just trying to work towards a better system because the system's oppressive and it makes it incredibly difficult for people to enter the system, but big up to the people that can, that can forge the way and make the changes.
4: I, I, I don't know. I mean, maybe I'm thinking about this in a different way. I mean, here in the United States, um, you know, if you go to Indeed.com and you put cannabis extraction you get a never-ending list of jobs in just about every state that has cannabis programs, they need people. Cannabis extraction, cannabis dispensaries, you can go to these just job sites just to, you know, we were recently uh, looking to hire somebody and we were thinking about um, having like a full-time person to run our HPLC. And so, uh, we looked, and my God, there had to be 15 other places looking for exactly the person that we were looking for. We want someone that's, you know, kind of analytically trained. It didn't necessarily need to have a college degree because we were paying them by the hour, but we wanted them to basically take ownership over the HPLC and run our analytical uh, in-house analytical lab. And... I I don't know, man. It seems like there's a lot of jobs out there right now for people who are looking for people to get into the industry. So I I, I don't know what what they're talking about. I mean, a lot of entry level jobs are, are out there. I think it's a lot of
0: people at
4: their computers,
0: trying to, wanting to be a part of things, but just not knowing how to execute. And sometimes it's easier to just, you know, I mean, listen, we're all having difficulties. This isn't the easiest thing. We're in a global pandemic. We're all trying to deal with these businesses. We're involved in something that's never happened before in the world. Cannabis has never gone from a hundred plus years federally illegal to federally legal. You guys down in the States are probably going to pop federal here in the next two to five years. It's it's almost God, inevitable. We hope so. We hope it's so. It's got to happen, man. It's got to happen now. Will it happen the way we want it to happen? Probably not. It'll probably be scary. It'll probably be handed over to big business and, and pharma and all these trap labs that think they're, you know, gp <laughs> MP labs but they aren't they're like bare arms not wearing the proper gear those labs are going to go to the to the wayside and you're going to see the labs open up with much more regulations and it's it's a bit scary but at the same time i, I run a lab like that and you know what like, if i have to jump through certain hoops to be a part of this industry you're damn straight i'm going to jump through them yeah and one, one, one
10: other yeah, one, one other thing i'd like to add to that too is you know because I feel like since over the last 25 years, you know, in California with a medical, a medical program in place, you know, it was, it was in this time, you know, that was probably one of the, in my opinion, one of the most unique times uh, of, of an industry, of an emerging industry that will ever, ever take place. It will ever come, it'll, if there ever, it will ever be anything quite like it. But, you know, if you had $5,000 and, you know, some, you know, some gleam in your eye and passion for the plant, you know, you could kind of start up set up a garage, grow, have 10 lights, you know, plus do whatever, and be able to make, make a living and make, make a, you know, career at the time out of uh, working with this plant, you know? And so I feel like the stakes, you know, with regulation kicking in, you know, kind of have have made it such that, you know, the the barrier of entry is absolutely like greatly more expensive to get in because of all the reality of compliance and regulation, all the things, but, you know, that was the most, yeah, I feel like that's the most unfettered capitalism, like free market, that uh, that we could have ever been part of. You know, just working with this plant at the time before legalization, and so I feel like that's where so many people kind of, you know, have been cut out because they, you know, ha- were were once an owner operator of a business, know, now you know, kind of grumpy and and, and uh, jaded, you know,
5: because they 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 didn't you know necessarily do their diligence and stack money and.
10: You know, like, you know, not take the, you know, outrageous vacations all over the world all the time, you know, because um, for those that saw that time as a time of proving ground to, like, work out the, train, you know, the, the, the pr- you know, proof of concept and, and the, the, the ability to sustain and not just break even each grow or each kind of round, but, but to but eventually stack over time to the point where they could get into a position where they could help sell funds, you know, kind of a project to kind of become licensed. But due to the fact that, you know, kind of that didn't happen, you know, I feel like a lot of people kind of uh, they see like they got cut out. But, you know, and in a bit of a way, they did, you know, because of the barrier of entry and financial investments kind of went so much greater. But but that was also, you know, got it all. They all everybody else has to recognize that in themselves. that You know, there was there was the, that was the time, you know, and once legalization is here, it's not I mean, all that works to get ready for this moment.
0: There's also the fact that a lot of these people were just so stoked on selling four and five and $6,000 thousand dollar pounds and $80 eights under the guise of medical, oh, okay. where it's like uh, the, the vacations and the cars and all of the things that these people gained through this prohibition pricing was like, you know, how many of them want to sell $80 eights instead of like, you know, give those eights away or sell them for 10 or 50. Like, so it's totally. turns- turned into that too there was like you know a lot of people now are like fuck cannabis it's like well yeah i guess you're not getting your four or five thousand us dollars a pound anymore i could see where you fuck the legal cannabis business because the illegal cannabis business was so good to you unfortunately instead of just people having shitty jobs that weren't paying them enough it actually involved locking up hundreds of thousands of people around the world and so i gotta lean back into the new being still better than what we came from what's that josh
9: I'm just saying you can't say it was good at four thousand, but then it was not good since you were getting a gun to your head. I think it's just evolving now, and it's really important for us to stay calm and try and help everyone that wants to enter, you know, enter. Which is what we're doing. We're showing people our success. Is different levels of entry happening right now? There's different levels of play happening, and you know, let's let's try and keep cannabis sacred and try and keep a soul in cannabis and move forward. I think Alice had something to say. And also, I just
6: wanted to say that, you know, Marcus, what, what you're talking about is representative to the experience that you're having and the experience that, you know, maybe your friends are having. So you're really... Speaking for yourself you're speaking for what's happening always with your involvement and that's all that we can speak for so you know what you were saying I can't at all you know a lot of it can't necessarily transfer to a cultivator in the experiences that we've had in the industry working our asses off to- To try to be a part of it you know or recognizing maybe the reality that this is a system that because we are so integral in working with plant medicine that it might not want to be an industry that we actually enter into so there's that incredible push and pull too so here as cultivators we're working with incredible integrity and what we see when we put it out into the universe is like all this other mishmash and maybe you know it doesn't totally match that energy so there's a lot going on here and i just wanted to mention that each one of us have our own individual experiences in the industry so because it's evolving everything is going to come to the table all at once and that's what's happening right now
8: well, I to a a well.
6: on a subject too that is uh, i mean
8: continuing what Kelly was saying, that it's actually about privilege. Uh, I mean, I can talk through my own experience as you could talk through your own, Marcus. Like in Brazil, as I told before here, I'm a privileged white girl, right? So uh, I I have the standpoint, the view from a privileged white girl in Brazil. Here in United States, it's totally different. So I I managed to travel in between these two places in the world, like how I see myself and how I recognize myself and being able to be part of a cannabis industry at least in brazil i don't see a possibility for everyone i don't see something that would be almost merit how do you say that meritocracy like like i don't see it like that i see it as something that would do would totally do, do with privilege all the business owners here at least that i see here in california they're white i don't see Black people, I don't see Latinos. I don't see people that are from Mexico. So I feel like, uh, yeah, it's not for every, it's not every person that has a place in this business, honestly.
0: Well, but that's I, like every business, it's true, 100%. Yeah,
8: every business, but there's a difference between the cannabis business and every other businesses in, in the world. We live in a prohibitionist society. And this business that we have nowadays has a historical reparation to take care of, different than other businesses. Like people uh, in the last like 50, 60 years, people have been massive incarcerated all over the world through like a drug policy.
6: Still and, today.
8: And where I where I agree with you is that uh, with regulations, things are safer. This is where this is where I agree. There there are good 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 sides and bad sides too. Like not everyone can be part of it, but at the same time look safer, you know, there's less criminality. So it's just I just wanted to uh, shine a light on this because it's important for us to recognize our own privileges and uh understand that, yeah, for I mean, for me, I'm finding my place here in the United States too, but I feel it that, that if I was like a black girl, that would be totally different. And that would be way harder. It would be way harder to find opportunities and possibilities. And, and to, I just find the light in on in that. In fact,
0: if you want to have a ton of great conversations about this very conversation, and Dr. Allison mentioned it at the start of the show, this is happening on Clubhouse like every day, every minute, huge groups of people talking about this, both from from the minority perspective, from the privileged perspective, both in the room simultaneously. And it's really, really great conversation uh, to be a part of. And it's, it's of course true. And it's not just the cannabis business, believe it or not, it's happening in a ton of different kinds of businesses. Privilege passes through more than just the cannabis business. And the best thing we can do is recognize our privilege, do the best that we can to share it with those who don't have that privilege. You know, I share my time and my energy with everyone, regardless of what they look like, regardless of what color their skin is. I'm always willing to help and share my time with people. And, and, and you know, that's what we're doing right now today. This show is certainly not for any one group of people. This show is for every people. You know, all the people can listen to hash church and hopefully, you know, enjoy the conversation and have some disagreements and have some agreements. To me, some of the best hash churches is when it gets a little rocky and we have a little. We get into the core subjects where there's really some nerves being poked. And I'll tell you, when we started talking about this, the chat room started going off in in on YouTube. So it's like, and sometimes it goes pretty slow. And uh, yeah, people want to have these difficult conversations and kind of, and there's learning from them. Like I have these conversations so I can personally learn from them so I can shift my perspective so I can, you know, help help become a better person. Basically.
1: Well, I mean, look, I, I'm a legacy operator. I'm also man of white privilege, but I used my white privilege to for, further the issue as well as advance the issue because I knew my friends of color were not able to do so. So what did I do? I hired my friends of color. I hire of all different color creeds, uh, every spectrum of the rainbow. Uh, we became a support network for many trans employees uh, going each direction. And it's been an absolutely wonderful, embracing experience. But, you know, early on, we were activists. We were all expecting to get arrested every single day. It wasn't until the laws changed that, you know. Um, so, yeah, I understand my white privilege is there. So, what do I do? I mentor many people uh, for free because I want them to learn and give the opportunities and get the opportunities that, uh, no, they no longer have to trailblaze floor. Uh, there's a whole bunch of you know, shortcuts. We, as we say, we built the airplane while flying it. So you make a lot of mistakes. You build extra wings. You do all kinds of stupid shit because, again, early on, we hired activists because, again, any day we're all expecting to go to jail. So now 20 years down the line, that hasn't happened. So we continue to send the elevator down through education, through mentoring. I uh, contribute to Supernova Women, which is uh, education as well as uplifting women of color in our community. And I mentor various... Uh, people across various spectrums because I feel it's a duty as operators for us to still foster the environment that we want to see, that you want to see, because we have. I stepped down from the National Cannabis Industries Association because I wanted more people of color and more diversity on there. So I used my privilege to step down to promote that. OK, so there's a chance and it's it's no type of guilt. It's more of a realization that we have to be what we want the world to be. We never we were told 30 years ago it was never going to happen in our lifetimes, but. Here we are. Here we are doing what we're doing. And that law has changed. Is it perfect? No, we still have to work on change here in California. We had to fight for SB 34 to get the the ability to still give away free cannabis to people of low income. Okay. Uh, And that was hard to get support around and to rally people around because again, people become complacent on business. So these are valid and real discussions that should be had because we need diversity. We need to not only have equality but we have to have equity for those that were most hurt we need black brown color people veterans uh of all that have been hurt by this drug war to get a chance to get an equal footing because it's we're losing it fast to these huge corporations coming out of canada and these conglomerates building in the united states that if we don't do something soon there's going to be no opportunity because It's just going to be 7-Elevens and Walmarts, you know what I'm saying, of cannabis per se, as opposed to mom and pop operators. So that's kind of a niche of where we are and where we've had to be. We had to risk our freedoms to change law for dispensaries. But sooner or later, dispensaries are going to be a thing of history. You're going to be able to go to your Costco and get your low, mid and high grade. And there'll be specialty shops and things needed for medical. But you know, I'll be honest and say we had our time, we had our space, but change is coming and we're now going to be so normalized that we're going to be pushed out um, of existence because we're no longer pushing the envelope, we're no longer risking ourselves. We're accepted, we, we've changed the conversation forever. So I'm fine with being obsolete because I know we've changed it forever. That's for a long way.
4: Large Costco size containers, huh?
1: (laughs)
3: Yeah. I mean,
1: they'll still be craftish like, look, Humboldt and will be just like Napa. They'll have their craft places, but it's just going to become like that. There'll be mail order will be normalized here eventually in America and they'll be just farms large enough to support mail order because they've got a unique amazing genetic that grow in an amazing way etc cetera, etc cetera. it's just uh, it's going to become a normal commodity as much as what it'll be and you'll become more skeptical of going to costco for your you know your big <laughs> costco uh but maybe they'll have amazing weed back you know that i don't know the quality is getting better but you know, the larger it gets, it doesn't mean the better it gets. So that's why we've always felt back on craft and why Napa Valley is so prominent still to this day. And millions of people come through a year because there's small wineries that do nothing but mail order or sell directly right out of their winery. They don't need to sell to the large box stores. Whereas people are scaling up to be in the box stores right now. People are scaling up for interstate commerce right now. So what does that make the mom and pop store when you've got these huge conglomerates that can literally buy up your entire state's dispensaries, just like that?
3: Well, so you know, this brings up a good question. You know, like, a, a thing I wanted to just talk about is is the idea of standardizing cannabis because that's really what we're talking about in terms of scaling. And Mark's Mark colleagues touched on this. Dr. Mark, you've touched on this a bunch. Where CGMP is going to be the thing and you know, but I, I think we're a long ways away from this. And I'd love to hear Sam's thoughts on, you know, the genetic aspect of this, because if they're, you know, when this gets federal in the United States, it's going to be a whole new world of federal. They're going to have varietals that are going to need to be certified. It's going to be specific ways you're going to have to grow it. They're going You know, there's a lot of checks and balances that I foresee us ha- having to, to kind of get involved in, in, in a new way, just like we had to get involved in testing in a new way. And as a cultivator, you've never had someone tell you, you can't sell your, your cannabis before. You just never, never had that or your hash or your extracts, you know, like never had that. So the ceilings going to get, I think is going to get even lower um, and tighter and the box is going to get tighter and it's going to come down to being really good at at going through these these, navigating these cgmp slash you know clean room slash you know whatever else you want to want to call it um you know rules that are going to be put in place and regulations and i think that's where it's going to start separating like marcus has been saying the individuals that really understand the processes and the, the the in you know intricacies and the steps in between the steps versus those who are you know just they you know it's really difficult it's going to be hard so I, I'd love to hear Mark's thoughts on this and ATN. like you sounds like you're, you've already been thinking a lot about this you know as I have I've been kind of thinking about oh my gosh you know I've been here for two decades been you know over two decades working with this plant How, what does that mean for us in you know in the next decade you know I, I see dispensaries
1: becoming less and less. Uh, yeah. Once normalization happens, why can't I mean, right now in New York, bodegas are saying, "Hey, if they can sell cigarettes and alcohol, why can't they sell cannabis as well?" You're okay. totally right. Somebody yeah. is going to test that water in one of these states because they're all different laboratories, and somebody's going to say, "Yeah, why not?" And then right. it becomes normally and accepted. So. I, I I wish, look, I wish I could say we'll be around forever. But I think, you know, if you really look at normalization and acceptance of society, where they're even talking about here with the new politicians here in the US, uh, more act, which will give us banking and other things. You got to look 20 years down the line, it's, just like alcohol and tobacco, I can go down to my local 7 Eleven and pick up some, you know, Jack Herrera 20 pack or you know, right. whatever. Like, you know, as as frightening as that thought may be, why can't that be an accepted normalization? We dreamed, you know, oh there would one day be places you could go and buy pot, but not only one kind of pot, but different kinds of pot. And we used to laugh and go, ha, ha, ha that Well, it happened. And right. that because the risks are there. So If society accepts it and every state now legalizes it, why won't it be distributed but like ABC stores or something like that because of yeah. the want or need for the taxation and how narrow those margins become because it's a race to the bottom because it's an agricultural crop. Once these states come online, there's going to be some amazing growers in certain regions that are going to do amazing things en masse that are going to be able to challenge the market at ways that we've never seen before. We're not there yet. But I don't think we're decade
12: away either. No,
5: yeah, I mean, I, mean, I w-
1: yeah, we're
12: already seeing CBD products being sold in convenience stores. You know what? What's gonna happen across North America, especially across the states, is you're gonna. Right now, a lot of the states are fragmented in their state-by-state regulation of THC products. Into the you know, kind of patchwork framework of different state licenses that are either THC or CBD. As federal law changes, I have to assume that federal law will evolve in the similar fashion of the way the Canadian, it will first pass some sort of federal interstate medical, and then they'll pass some sort of federal interstate recreational. So they'll when they change THC, cannabinoids from schedule one to either schedule two or preferably schedule three or off the scheduling. But when they reschedule it, it'll probably open up for the FDA to start regulating any company that wants to do interstate commerce. That interstate commerce means that, hey, now I can sell to any state, any consumer. Now I can ship to the East Coast as many people may have been doing in the traditional market. But in order to get that interstate commerce license, you're gonna have to be able to meet the FDA's rules and requirements about cannabis. And that kinda depends on how they're gonna regulate it. If it goes schedule two, it's gonna have to be produced in a, essentially a pharmaceutical facility. If it's schedule three, we hopefully we'll be able to have food grade facilities. Here in Canada, it's a GPP facility which is much, it's very similar to a food grade facility, just very heavily regulated on all the documentation that we have for being able to sterilize every surface and clean every piece of equipment. We have to have every SOP, PCP, which is a preventive control plan and a list of a dozen other documents on every piece of equipment. The same thing's going to happen with that when the FDA gets involved in the states, and when any other country starts regulating inter-provincial or interstate uh, sales, so you, people who you know previously were blasting in their backyard shed probably won't be able to, because they'll have to be able to prove that they can clean that building. So if you have a barn, maybe you can renovate that farm to a food grade facility, but you're going to have to be able to fill Build it in a way, and that you can actually show to the regulators that it can be sterilized in order to minimize the risk of contamination. So there, there will be pathways.
9: Go ahead, go ahead.
12: There will be pathways. It's just going to be, you know, something that, you know, the first time that it's done is always the most difficult. And as as the licenses open up, that you know, ever I think everyone's going to be able to learn from everyone else be able to see that yes you know just like the wine industry the hops industry there are ways that we can cultivate cannabis not only on the, the you know a small acreage couple hundred plant scale but all the way up to the hectare acre scales and do it in a sustainable fashion
9: i just wanted to make sure that you know it doesn't uh happen with, to, you know, with cannabis, what happened to tobacco, you know, you take this sacred plant that every person grew that was good for the earth that was used during ceremony. And then you just, what we regulate it, what everyone's growing it, what it's at all the stores, what it has no life, what It creates cancer. So I think that we, as to, in order for us to keep our consciousness, as we move forward, let's just make sure that cannabis doesn't become pharma to table and then it keeps farm to table. And that maybe if it does go big and it does go box store and it does go all that way, that's fine, but it's gonna be back to the micro brew or the micro weed or the the, the farmer's market to where someone that wants to stay with the intention and still provide something clean and, and acceptable for use by humans can still have that personal you know a, a connection and maybe it's you know partly a tourism thing and it's more experiential i think we can use our gardens to heal people just walking through them so as we 100%. move forward with this legalization let's keep that that space open for you know for the small scale cultivator to be able to continue to hold uphold like the quality because no matter what when well, you put it into a box you know well, it's gonna, <laughs> And it may be inevitable. And
6: let's be so bold. Let's be so bold to say, let's hold. I hear a lot about That's- like, oh, okay. We're in these signed ledgers and we've got our lawyers on it. And this is a, this is a conscious awakening miracle, healing plant and that is so alive in the cannabis culture that it's absolutely imperative that we as people who have been the medicine makers and the people who have gotten it to this point still continue to push that um rhetoric that that education that energy forward that you know, we don't want to desacred the plant in the way that tobacco was. like. And Josh also, and also
9: we're it's as a sketchy
6: as, place. And as
9: a cannabis community, as we move forward internationally, we're also opening doorways for other psychedelic plant medicine. And we don't want psychedelic plant medicine to also fall in the hands of regulation and, the, and into the hands that goes away from the origins of the magic of what it is. And I
6: think that that's awesome. Like we, the medicine makers of cannabis do have an incredible responsibility of what is going to happen with plant medicine in the future. Like Josh was just saying, we are holding the door open to many plant medicines in the future and what's going to happen to these conscious raising plants. They've helped us so much in humanity gain traction on an awakening of different levels. Um, And here we are at another one. And I think that we need to, um, you know, uh, carry that voice of, of the spirituality of this plant as well. That's all,
9: and the sacred commerce.
3: That's totally amazing and so right on. That dialogue has to be woven into the fabric of where this is headed, and I get nervous that it's being left behind. And let's face it, um, corporate cannabis, whatever you want to call this, it, 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 the dry cure process is 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 so important, and and we all can agree here. You know, out in the open market, it's always the craft. It's the people that have that that deep understanding of the process and that connection with the plant spiritually that allows it to, to really resonate in terms of, of its flavor profile, the timing in which they're, they're dry curing it and, and how it's trimmed and when it's trimmed and all the steps in the process. And that's a deep connection that goes beyond any SOP, beyond any type of title, uh, any paycheck, and, and anything that goes along with any of the things that we call in industry, if you will. It has nothing to do with an industry. An industry is something that we're as humans trying to better understand to call it something. And, and let's just face it guys, it's passion that 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 is the cornerstone of all of this. It's not a paycheck, it's not an industry.
6: The industry is a human-minded creation that's ever evolving and changing because humans are ever evolving and changing in this weird mind that we create on what standards are at one particular time. But this plant is constant. It's here for us. Yes, we are, of course, interacting with it. We are, of course, changing maybe its frequency level, but this is a plant that's been here, you know, for an incredibly long time, oh, all yeah. the way to where we have an endocannabinoid system that you know, there needs to be some kind of a, a respect in, in that also.
9: There's a question and-
0: for Yeah, a question from Sasa Serban, if you wanted to quickly answer that one, dragonfly.
6: Um, yeah, we, we definitely do grow some, some wormwood and we get artemisia um, down at the lake uh, in the area that we live in there. It's sort of down at lake level. Uh, we can find it wildcrafted, and we definitely work with it on uh, different levels for parasitical cleanses and stuff. That's all.
0: Thank you, I'm sure. Um, and I appreciated it. Go ahead.
10: Now I would love, I'd love to jump in kind of just on this thought too. You know, I mean, and I, I did mention kind of a bit of this last week, I believe. But, but, you know, kind of it's fascinating that, you know, with prohibition ending and all the money coming in and all everybody trying to come and find their stake in this new industry, you know, um, it's it's fascinating and how different it is from alcohol because, you know, with alcohol, you know, when prohibition ended, you know, there was the development of the big, you know, kind of you know, however many decades and decades later that the craft beer and the craft industry spirit industry really started thriving, you know. But with cannabis, you know, there's you know, with prohibition ending, there's this effort for corporate coming in consolidation to occur simultaneously with the development of the craft industry. But you know, like just to the higher intelligence of the plant, you know, there's so much. Um, you know, there's so, so many barriers, to the, uh, barriers of entry that the plant itself puts up for people to even succeed in working with it. If you haven't like spent your, you know, so much of your own time and passion, you know, like appreciating it and coming to respect it, you know, in, in all the different lessons the plant will teach us in cultivation and hash making. And, and so the, the, the built up like tribal knowledge from the culture and from the craft industry is something that you know is you can't just learn you know and 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 so you see kind of simultaneously with you know everybody going licensed and kind of you know finding their way in this new space you know there's a lot of fear that that it's going to be like alcohol and there's just going to consolidate a few brands and all this but you know i you know just just kind of pointing out from the testing side of things it's like you know i've seen some of the the most the largest in and most like catastrophic fails happen from like a lot of the biggest money people coming in just, you know, recklessly thinking they're just gonna like, come take over the plant and take over the industry, but they the plant, you know puts them in their place and and so many of the people that are growing around egg lands, it's all kind of popping dirty, you know, and 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 in this same while all the farmers in Northern California and around areas that have preserved the craft and the integrity of this plant and not poison their land and poison the environment. They're at in this market where there's I mean everybody's looking for clean, abundant quality material to make into products and and jar up and to you know, do all the things. Um, but but for what it's worth it's a it's a unicorn. You know the, the, the amount of material that's out in the market you know that's being cultivated in these areas that are dirty is is it greatly exceeds the the clean supply and so you know i i i mean i hope it's not naive uh, to think but i feel like ultimately you know it's like it you know because everybody wants you know it's like it's extend like your lane and enter your zone and don't get like freaked out by like the fact that there's these
6: you're breaking up, pal. Breaking up.
10: up. Take over this plant. I have the knowledge, you know, that you do, and might, you know. But but I I seeing it. Oh, not an easy plant to learn unless you really respect. It. And and I'm just yeah, just just wanted to make the point that you know I think the plant's intelligence is going to serve us, and and for those that have been. And services plant all their life, there's, I, I feel deeply that there's, the plant's got your back, you know, as long as you just keep your passion and find your way and don't get freaked out about the corporate agendas and all this, because it, it's not like they're figuring it out any quicker. And if anything, their levels of face plant are that much, of such a greater magnitude that, you know, are crippling in a lot of, in, in so many of the cases. And so, yeah, I just got a lot of trust and faith that the plant's going to have our back and, that the craft farmers and the craft artisan producers are going to find their way as long as they keep their passion and push forward.
0: Seems like at least here in British Columbia, more and more happening. I see people that I know that are getting their, um, you know, micro licenses. I saw Patrick, uh, one of our glass blowers who got his license recently and he was just blowing glass one day and the next you know he was announcing that he was building out his facility and that he got his license. And I was just so happy to see that. I know the great is working on the same thing with Kirk Tussaud and it seems like there are people who are, are getting through. And I know those are the people that will kind of help the next group of people, you know, where it's like, it's not this fear and scarcity vibe where it's like, if we make it down a pathway, people are pretty much happy to share, uh, you know, the the methods of of how they did it and how they got there. And from a processing standpoint we're very excited to uh you know find more and more relationships with craft growers because um they grow exceptional quality cannabis they get their terpenes up there a little higher than some of the terpene contents we're seeing out of the large licensed production facilities and it's uh we're excited to see all these great growers that we've known for you know decades slowly making the 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 that switch and it's not an easy switch you know i know that uh Kelly and and Josh mentioned it earlier, you know, is it an industry we want to be a part of in that particular, or do we want to, you know, and it's, it's very much a fence sitting position, but it's very much the human nature to consistently divide. And if you just take the fence away, you realize you're actually just in a field of grass and it's kind of green over there and it's kind of green over there. And you have a lot more motion to move and you can tap into a lot more people. If you just take that fence down and just, uh, just Mark, be in isn't it
5: true like in Canada right now there's a surplus of 1 million pounds on the shelf of the, of the producers?
0: It's definitely possible if you're producing sub-quality cannabis and you're trying to race to the bottom and produce cannabis that has, you know, like less than a percentage of terpenes and it's just not very exciting in flavor, not to mention if it sits in your vault for a year and you lose that 0.7% terpenes that you actually had there. And now it's basically distillate sitting on a plant, you know, di- diluted distillate on a, on a plant matter. Um, but you know, that, that doesn't surprise me. It's kind of like, there's always been a surplus of swag. You know?
5: Also, yeah. the, more and more of the Canadian uh, total that's produced under licenses,
0: uh, is growing outdoors now. Yeah, that's true too. A couple of key companies just got some big outdoor licenses just a couple of years ago and that really, you know, you saw 10 acres here and five acres there and then all of a sudden 48 North did 77 acres, which was unbelievable. I talked to the kid who planted all those plants. He wasn't even 30 years old he popped like 228,000 seedlings. And and like, I just had to give him, and he was like, you know what? And I walked through the field and some of it didn't look that good. And some of it did look good. And of course people were, you know, slamming all over them. I actually, you know, it was one of the things because Josh and Kelly aren't in the industry. And when I went to visit that facility, instead of like, taking a bunch of pictures and blasting them on the internet. I thought I'll try to help this company. There's a few key things. And I hooked them up with Sean from Los Gardens. And I was like, Sean is like DEM pure certified. He's willing to help. He lives less than an hour away. Maybe this is a way to sort of build a bridge and help a company rather than like kind of pour gas on it, light it, and then sit there and enjoy it while it burns down to the ground. So I just sort of thought like, well, why don't we just kind of help the company? And it's easy to be a critic, but it's kind of like, I think it's better to help and to kind of like get that information that Josh and Kelly are sitting on. And I always am begging them, try to figure out a way to get involved within this system because the system really needs you. And the change that you're doing outside of the system is incredible. But the change that you could do within the system system systematically, like, that is, to me, I think it would be substantial, and that's kind of what I'm trying to do myself.
6: Thank you. That's awesome. And I think I just wanted to, you know, be a little bit more accurate with language. Is that we're here to help the plant. We're not necessarily here to help the system. So, are we're going to continue to be a voice for the plant? We're going to continue to educate for the plant we're not really interested necessarily in educating or helping out the system because it's ever-changing us entering in the system is we're entering in the system with just like you said bits and pieces of education and and as far as like burning down another facility that's growing the real question is is if we're helping the plant and not the system of course we would come in and educate that huge massive organization or lp or whatever you want to call it that's really having a wrongful relationship with this plant having a hard time cultivating it this is where we can step in and say oh well our true alliance is with the plant and and i think that we're just going to continue to have that Pure alliance with the plant, rather than have an alliance with this ever-changing system. And this that's is, all.
9: And, to, and, and I love
10: that point.
9: Thank you. And then that's why I value the show, Marcus. And again, just thank you for putting this on because it's these conversations. You know, there's a little bit of everything happening, so we get to all see what's happening. And I like that there's people in different areas of the world and different areas, so that we get to share our experience. And I consider it the richness of the show, so and, I thank you for this conversation. And our
6: experience with the plant is awesome because with Pure and what Josh and I do is we're having a global experience with the plant. We can't be caught in one US system, one Canadian system, one Australian system, one Brazilian system. We have to incorporate all of what humanity is going through and still continue the education forward and the in the information you know dedicated to the plant because the systems, like I said, are ever changing. So, so that's our focus.
0: Very well said, and I appreciate your perspective. Absolutely, and it is definitely a language thing for sure. I just. Uh... You know, and you are helping within the system because the people you're helping are choosing to work within that system and they're bringing some of that information to the system and it's, uh, it is what it is, you know, Um, I, I just love cannabis, I want it to be successful regardless of uh, I want my mother to be able to buy her medicine online the way she prefers to, you know, she doesn't want to go to dispensaries. She doesn't want to go to the gray market. She likes to just go to a company that she can look up and see the people that work there and know that it's getting tested and all of these things. And there are, millions of people like her. And without that particular system, they would be left out in the cold. And there's a, there's an enormous amount of systems, you know, in that sense, it's not just a Canadian and a Brazilian, it's just all of these, you know, platforms that the plant is finding itself in. Uh, It's very, you know, it used to be in a prohibition platform. And believe it or not, we all supported that system, whether we like to admit it or not it was the system we we worked within it was the prohibition system it was the system we had to work within and i'm sh- i'm certain it's the system that allowed cannabis to be sold for 5 and 6 and 7000 us dollars a pound in places like manhattan and los angeles you know that was the system and now It's not kind of the system anymore and it's sort of changing and there are growing pains and some people are feeling a little like the ground's moving out from under them, kind of like the home dealer felt when the dispensaries came out, you know, the BC Compassion Club and all of these spots had no idea they were going to absolutely decimate the home dealer. The mom and pop dealers that were just sitting at home paying their mortgage by selling eighths they couldn't compete with dispensaries there's 25 different kinds of weed at etienne's dispensary there's like 30 different kinds of concentrates he had put all that stuff into one amazing place and he created this incredible environment for people to come to but on the flip side there were probably a lot of people in that area that were selling weed that suddenly that dried up for them so there goes another you know one system comes into place another system dries up And it just keeps going and going and going. And all we can do is try and stay conscious and try and make sure that we, you know, direct this in some form or another that is, you know, like Kelly and Josh are saying, like plant-based for the, for the plant.
1: Actually, they showed up in our lounge and would sell it in our smoking lounge. (laughs) So, you know, you'd be amazed, dog. You know, uh, they're still resourceful. The traditional market remains traditionally unique and will always find ways to survive no matter what happens, no matter what transpired. I mean, look, 80% of the regulated market prior to 64 disappeared you know, and is now back in the traditional market. So the traditional market is way bigger than the, the, the legal market, hands down. And that's not changing anytime soon.
4: So being a scientist, I try to understand systems, right? In in, in, in general. And, and, and what I can tell you is that, yeah, systems are a man-made construct, but that they can evolve Kelly and so like humans can steer a system so we can steer a system because we are the system (laughs) if you think about it like yeah so like people have asked this before you know the, the cannabis industry you know industry I always thought of like as a kid as like you know the industrial revolution like smokestacks and factories and workers and unions that's that's industry the cannabis industry is really just an illusion if you think about it because all it is is we're okay like colin said yeah we're attracted to the plant and like our passion for the plant gets pulled through in these products and i think at some point like marcus made a, a, some hash right and he's like, man, this is really good. And, and his friends all got around and it's like, that's really, really good hash. Boy, wouldn't it be great to someday produce this and bring this to the masses? And the thing when we were talking about CGMP, so just so everyone knows, GMP stands for good manufacturing uh, practices. And C, there's usually a little prefix of C before that. And little C stands for current because those are constantly changing like systems, they're constantly changing. Yes, there's systems that are in place, but ultimately these are systems constructed by humans, run by humans and for the benefit of humans. And so when I think of CGMP, and we, we think of it in the industry, in the industry, there you go again, the people who work in this business as being something related to quality and quality control and safety. But what I can tell you is that the owners, the people who who own these businesses, the shareholders, what they think of when they think about CGMP is risk management, right? So if they're gonna be producing a product and they're gonna be producing X kilograms of that product, and that's a lot of money and a lot of labor and a lot of electricity and a huge investment going into making this product, what they wanna, what they want to run the, the what they don't want to run the risk of is that product all fouling, or that product not meeting a labor requirement, or for some reason that product not being able to deliver the intended value that it was. So the people who own these businesses who are putting the investment into good manufacturing practices are doing so for the management of risk. And really. When we get Marcus's product someday imported into the United States, or perhaps maybe the the, the better uh, uh, production model would be Marcus's business licenses that production process and Mike and his crew come down to various operations that are licensed producers in the United States to produce that spec bubble hash in Marcus's process. So ultimately, when that's made in a CGMP process, all of the quality control that went into developing the process for the release of that product to the Canadian market will be duplicated in the United States market in a way, again, where it's kind of like, it's interesting because Mike West was talking about the parallels of the of hops. And in many ways, the the alcohol industry is parallel to the to the cannabis industry in that they're growing a crop you know grapes right Uh, crop means good genetics good agricultural practices uh, no pesticides uh, very good uh, practices in terms of delivering a safe product meant for human consumption and then the extraction of that Uh, cannabis or the conversion of those grapes into a reproducible product that can cross state lines, that can cross international boundaries. So when you buy a bottle of that wine from California, if you're in Canada or if you're in the United States, it's the same quality. It's the same taste. It's basically the same flavor, the consistency that the owners of these businesses really need to understand that that's going to be the mechanism in place and so all of the quality control testing all of the shelf-life testing and everything that needs to go into making any quality product for human consumption is going to go into the so-called industry because that's what's just needed to happen to make sure that the quality of the product is uh, what what was intended for, for, for it to be you know
9: and as funny as enough none of that pertains to the food that we eat.
4: well you'd like to think that it does though i mean again when we go to the grocery stores and you could look on say like a package of i don't know can i use the word meat on this show without offending people of course it says usda right usda is the u.s department of agriculture it says that it's either what uh prime usda or grade a i mean there's a certain grading of beef and then what the consumer knows when he's buying that product and bringing it home is that yes there was a government agency and that that government agency made sure that the place that's producing this product that i'm bringing home to cook and feed to my family is going to be something that's going to meet a certain level of requirements and that's part of the good regulation that happens in government
0: I've also been to restaurants with you guys. So I know that you eat a lot of amazing food that you grow, but I also know that you've definitely eat food that you don't grow. So it's, it's for the majority of people, right? Like not, like I can't live on a farm and grow all my food for my family with what I currently do. And not everyone can grow all their own cannabis and all their organic food. And it's amazing for the people that can. And the more people that do it, like, Holy smokes, it's amazing. Um, but it's it's not currently feeding the world's population and the it's world's population. <laughs> oh, <laughs> well, not only you. that, Marcus.
9: We're definitely yeah. realists about that. I mean, we're not trying to be like, you know, what
6: percentage what, it's, it's the continued education for that is going to transform that big ag so that people can have access to the very basic, sort of right that we have, which is to nature and to Mother Earth. And all of these systems have taken us further and further away from that basic right just to have a relationship with a plant, to have relationship maybe with a beer that we brew you know it's just it's it's all in the gamut and and it's like when we when we speak from one side of it it's like oh okay well we have to bring that up to make this a conversation more holistic, so that those other points you know are, are brought up in it because that's just important we understand as far as in play. yeah as far as our future forward and and where we want it to be and I love it, Mark that you kept saying um, you know to mitigate risk that a lot of these standards are in to mitigate risk, and I have to giggle to myself about the idea of mitigating risk with psychedelic plants and plant medicine and that's going to be a really fun and what that means and then like the human mind to standardize what we see as risk like is seeing the devil a risk oh okay well let's like back off okay well you know if you're going to be seeing the devil we got to have a standard on that one you know i mean it's no but jesus Jesus is fair game
4: right no devil but if you could see Jesus, Jesus, oh, Jesus. God,
6: I mean, all of it, Mohammed, it, it, it's, it's all very, it's all very important. To to, to what what, what is going to be with such adaptogenic, conscious raising plants? It, it makes me giggle. Well, let, let's try
11: and
12: just let's try and separate this between what would be considered nutraceuticals, herbal supplements, and then what would be considered pharmaceuticals, because in all likelihood, any government that regulates it is either going to try and treat it as a pharmaceutical drug, or hopefully since they're in the plant forms, more of the herbal supplement forms. Herbal supplements can have a range of of products, including a range of terpenes and active components, while you know when you start looking at the nutraceuticals generally will have active compounds listed on the label but in a range and pharmaceuticals generally need really specific dosages within a reproducible for example pill or other other pharmaceutical delivery api um, so you're going well, to have different regular right,
4: i mean there's just food so some people are selling mushrooms right now under the guise of they're mushrooms. They're edible. They're food. Oh, by the way, they also have all these other properties. But, and 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 so the manufacturing of those are happening in clean kitchens that you would use to manufacture other food products, and the packaging that they're going into, and the way that they're, I guess, assessing some type of. Um, Again, we were talking a little bit about this, Mike, last week with Alec on um, whether or not the cannabis testing labs are gonna test for, you know, like the dose of psilocybin, say like on mushrooms. And so will you actually see a label kind of like on your cannabis products where you have so many milligrams of THCA? Will there be so many milligrams of psilocybin in there? And then we were asking the question, and maybe you know this, Mike, what is the percentage of psilocybin? on typical, you know, blue cap mushrooms. I was always thinking again, there was on like the single digit percent, yeah. like one to two to 3%, but do you know what they're- so
12: th- This would be a better question for uh, uh damage, sure. but <laughs> potency, pot- potency ranges in uh, psychedelic mushrooms range anywhere from uh, about less than half of 1% all the way up to, Currently, in the literature, they've described up to about four and a half, five percent. I've seen right. online people describing up to six percent psilocybin or psilocin content. Um, but obviously, we you know when you look at psilocybin being the controlled substance, you're only looking at one biosynthesized psychedelic compound right. within the psychedelic mushrooms. You know, when when we bring those products to market, I hope I certainly hope they have psilocybin content but also psilocybin and baocysteine content right. and all the other terpenes that we can find in there uh that's well, that's you, honestly you, what
4: you, you you would imagine that in, in some way shape or form like like I, I would just think like one of the more popular ways of taking
6: yeah, psilocybin mushrooms well, that
4: i've always done is just capsules because i don't like eating them i don't like tasting them you put it in the capsule so the question is is like in a seven mil, a seven hundred milligram capsule, how much psilocy, uh, how much mushroom, ground mushroom so, to go in there and what's so the I concentration, be- right? So I believe that the
12: azure essence that stamens found were tested at about four um, percent. Yeah. the the liberty caps tested at around two percent. Most of the cubensis species test at about one percent psilocybin by dry weight. Right. So in it, in a gram of mushrooms, you're, that puts you at about a hundred milligrams of yeah, hundred milligrams per gram. So what you would want to put inside of each capsule is less than a third of a gram dry weight it would be sub uh, sub right. uh, intoxicating, sub psychotic. And-
5: Pineolas, um, like in Indonesia, are even weaker. I mean, they're like point 0.1% or something. They're they're quite low. Totally,
12: totally, yeah. And you'll have that range. Many many of the ones that are commonly found are going to have less than one percent potency. Um, some of the is, hybridization is, is, has taken them up, but
4: is the, is there a uh an entourage effect from everything else that's in the mushroom that makes the the um, uh, psilocybin that's there. So if it's only four percent psilocybin, that means there's 96% other, you know, carbohydrates, polysaccharides, what maybe a little bit of protein. I don't think there's too much protein in mushrooms, right? Mushrooms is mostly polysaccharide they, in the fruiting body, right?
12: But they, they do produce mono and diterpenoids
4: so is 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 there an enter or ensemble effect in mushrooms i would
10: imagine so mark absolutely yes yeah yeah i was gonna say you know with you know because there's psilocin psilocybin yeah there's maois
9: we we
12: will not be able to quantifiably say that in in this you know Proven manner until it's regulated in such a way that we can start culturing those but, different plants
5: on what a wide variety. Is true, but at the same time, if you take the four compounds that uh, were just mentioned and you take yeah. a enough to have a good dose of just that single compound, you'll see each one is slightly different. And if you take all four of them together, it's again, it has right. a synergistic effect.
9: Well, Albert Hoffman synthesized psilocybin a long time ago, mm-hmm. and they they created synthetic, you know, psilocybin, uh, and it, it's not the same as taking the mushroom. So, no, yeah, and,
12: and they've seen listen, potency change, change dependent on different leads as well.
9: Psilocybin, anyway. Psilocybin, and, right. and and what I'm saying is also a lot of people, you know, nowadays when you when you Uh, blend up mushrooms and you put it in a capsule you often put other you know herbs and other you know supportive herbs in the capsule that's what makes that capsule good for you so when you know you'll see some
6: hopefully dragonfly will be
9: able to teach the world about that soon
6: yeah well and a lot of other people you know just put it out there but compounding is is super important so just in the way that supportive just in the way that we get entourage effects with all of these different types of um, you know, mind altering or different types of medicinal plants. We can compound them with other plants to get even a further entourage. And this is just herbology, this has been happening for a really long time. And we wanna be able to be as supportive as you can. You know, you don't wanna be so allopathic that, you know, this, this particular compound in the mushroom creates this type of cerebral effect when in fact it might be causing a liver effect that is not so beneficial. So, so in compounding these, we can really look at ancient histories and ancient different cultures that have always compounded these adaptogenic psychedelic plant medicines. Um, and, and it's really exciting as they come more through the doorways and more where we can study them, that I really hope that that stage two that we can start this compounding and having an understanding of the entourage of the whole plant medicine world and how they all work together in a polyculture and a myriad of medicines.
9: Yeah. Yeah,
12: because uh, uh, many of the mushroom species actually often require some of the real specific either hardwoods or softwoods because they'll actually be pulling some of the precursor compounds out of that wood material that then get brought up into then get synthesized into the larger molecular weight triterpenoids that, that were found in some of the
9: mushrooms. And the, the, mushroom, uh, and the mushrooms bodies. are, exactly. They're a low, a low level toxin to your body if that's part of the trip. So to be able to take supportive herbs, Chinese herbs and different herbs to support your body while you're doing it, then you're not getting the depletion afterwards, you're getting the full benefit. And that's often used with MDMA as well. You know, if you're gonna do an MDMA therapy, you often would take what is it? Five HTP yeah, or a, bunch or a of few other uh, different uh, supportive minerals and herbs with that. And while Mike,
6: you do it, and Mike, I love what you said. You know, it really is like, what kind of substrate is the mushroom coming from? It is such. Yet again, I have to say it. It's it's an adaptogen, not just an adaptogen on how it makes us feel, but what it uptakes in its environment, what kind of epigenetics that it creates into its body, and then what type, how that those epigenetics of the medicine translates to our own individual experiences. It's so incredibly vast, you know, like when you get a polypore from a birch mushroom, you're getting betulinic acid in it, which changes the whole compound of that mushroom completely than if you were to get it off of a pine tree say and then you've got you know those a lot of the triterpenes that really come from pine just as an example i i just love that you brought that up and it really it, it makes us realize that there is no ceiling is basically what I'm trying to say with these plant medicines in reality. And,
9: and we know with cannabis as a dynamic accumulator, it uptakes toxins. Well, we know mushrooms uptake it even more like Kelly's saying. And a lot of times with Cubensis, you know, you're, you're composting manure. manure Manure loving mushrooms, and you would just make, make sure that that compost and all the manure and all the hay that you're using
6: through mushroom, and, and or you're,
5: you're breaking up. Unless my I'm having trouble.
9: Um, no, We're here. We probably yep. broke. Up. we were just saying it's incredibly important to have organic compost organic hay and all that in the cultivation of cubensis because they well, serve- it,
12: it's going to play well into being able to culture the you know culture the culture of the cannabis industry because being able to have those locally biodynamic soils are going to allow those farms to be able to culture those plants you know within their region and you know, it leads well to the evidence than some of the old adage where people would take strawberry clippings or blueberry clippings or raspberry clippings and put them into their compost and then feed those into the compost beds um, thinking that they can derive some of the flavor out of those the uh, broken down plant materials you I think on you'll that. end up yeah, I don't, I don't think you'll ever have any of those terpenes survive the microbial degradation. Oh, no,
4: that becomes bacteria food. As soon as that stuff becomes soluble, it gets eaten immediately. Yeah. Absolutely. Totally yeah, no. <laughs> yeah. What did you say, Sam?
5: I agree with you, Mark. <laughs>
4: Oh, we got a Hash Church episode now. Mark and Sam agree. (laughs) Holy moly. Let's patent that. (laughs) Listen, I want to
0: thank everyone for coming out today. We did go over our three hours today. We're a little bit over noon on the Pacific Standard Time here. I got my... uh, We went into mushroom talk so I figured I'd put up the inside of a psilocybin cyanescence gill where you can see the tiny little spores all around the the gills there and so I just figured I'd share that but I am gonna I'm going to shut her down because I'm going to be consistent with this. I want to do it every week and uh, we're going to have the discord chat open. I will put the discord link into the comment section of this video. So make sure you go join over there because that chat is going to continue to roll. And right now I have a general chat, a hash church chat, both in text and in voice. So you can actually go use your voice in that chat and talk to people like you're on the panel. And then you can also go to the psilocybin mushroom room that I created while we were doing this show today. I would also implore all of you to try and get on Clubhouse. It's been pretty cool, been pretty fun. Uh, A lot of us that are on the panel here are going to be in and around Clubhouse, I suspect, for the next couple of weeks, maybe longer, if uh, we fall into the... You know the vibes of it. But uh, listen, thank you so much for all your wonderful perspectives. Love the Dragonfly Earth Medicine, Josh and Kelly. Uh, Super happy that Girls in Green uh, and Wooksauce came in today to share their perspective. Always a pleasure to have Wade and Alec and Skunkman Sam and Brian and Colin and Mike West and Etienne and Dr. Mark. Everyone that makes this show what it is i we it's it's nothing without all of you, so please thank you for your perspectives and your just your willingness to share and being loving empathetic human beings. I love all of you so much you'll never really you will never know how much I love you all for doing this and uh, thank you everyone who's in the chat room who's watching who's hanging out who's creating their dialogues and their conversations based on what we're doing here. I really look forward to the day where these platforms merge and we can start pulling people out of the chat room and giving them a chance to ask their questions and to be a part of this show uh, with us because they are a big part of this show. So as always, may the full melt, bless your bowl sooner than later. Thank you everyone for coming out and uh, we'll see you next week.
4: Peace out. Bye everybody.
3: Peace guys. Thanks. See you next week. See you next week.